I'm asking all of my listeners, my proud supporters of our courageous men and women in blue to join me and express your unwavering appreciation for law enforcement. Thin Blue Line USA has stylish apparel, great accessories that make a statement and flags that fly with pride. They've got everything you need to show your support for law enforcement. Go to ThinBlueLineUSA.com and shop a wide selection of products to show up your patriotism. Use code SID and get 15% off. Stand with me, Sid, and stand with WABC as we honor those who protect and serve. ThinBlueLineUSA.com. Once again, use the code word SID. We are New York. Bernie and Sid in the morning. Talk Radio 77. WABC. Let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. From every mountainside. Let freedom ring and we make that When we allow freedom ring. When we let it ring from every village and every hamlet. From every state and every city. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. speech set forth by the late great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we celebrate today MLK Day here in the United States. Welcome back, everybody. 6.06 on your rainy, windy, just crappy Monday morning. Uh, Bernard is not here today. He's back tomorrow. Uh, What is it, Gabby? uh, Am I in the right place? Bernard is back tomorrow, not here today, but 100% tomorrow. And not even from home, I was told... He'll be here in the studios. That's all I know. I did not talk to Bernie at all this weekend. I spoke to him Friday. He said uh, he was resting. He didn't feel well. He had some painful tests the day before. So I left him alone and went about my own business. He went about his, and he'll be back here tomorrow. Short of uh, show for me today, I'm out at 9. Curtis Sliwa comes your way about, uh, about 8.59 o'clock. I told you last week about my three dear friends who were killed in a horribly tragic car accident down in Florida last Saturday night, nine days ago now. Al Prieto, 57 years old. Uh, the beautiful Danielle Prieto, formerly Danielle Iovine, 53 years old. And their beautiful son, Antonio, 
16 years old, all killed last Saturday night. Well, today is the funeral in uh, Summit, New Jersey. So I'm getting picked up at 9 o'clock to go to New Jersey for this. And this is going to be awful. I mean, just awful. Not that any funeral is good, uh, but, you know, you're talking about a whole family basically wiped out and a kid, 16 years old. People I've known for 46 years. So I am. Uh, I was sick all day yesterday because of this today. So I woke up in a terrible mood as it is, terrible, uh, despite MLK uh, Day today. And I'm getting dressed this morning. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning. And I live on the 14th floor of this apartment building in New York City, in the Upper West Side. And my windows were like, almost crashing in from the wind. Uh, and at about 3.30 in the morning, I heard hail hitting my air conditioning unit. I'm like, what the hell is going on out there? I got to go out in this. But it's not a big deal because I exit my apartment building and literally five feet in front of my apartment building is my guy, Gene, my cab slash limo driver. And he drives me right to the front door here. And it's not that big a deal. And I kept saying to myself, I was shaving and showering. And um, pleasuring myself thinking about Justin. And I kept saying to myself, thank God I have Gene because it's horrible out there. And, I, you know, I'm dressed up today. I got a suit on. I got a tie for the, for the funeral. And I've got this beautiful wool Burberry coat, like $1,000. I bought this summer up at Woodbury Commons. So I'm dressed to the nines, which is the least I can do for these folks. But it's all good. It's all good because Gene is going to be sitting in the cab outside when I go downstairs at 4.40 a.m. So I get downstairs about 4.38 a.m. He's always early, Gene. No, Gene. So my doorman goes, where's your cab driver? I go, I was about to ask you the same thing. So I text Gene in a panic because it's pouring outside, and I have to walk to Broadway to get a cab. By the time I get to Broadway, I'm soaking wet. I text Gene. I go, please tell me you're on the way, buddy. And I hear nothing from Gene, nothing. So now I have to walk to Broadway By the time I got one block from West End to Broadway, I was already soaked. I mean soaked with an umbrella. Now i got to stand out there, and the cabs were just not coming. And sometimes in the city, when there's a snowstorm or a rainstorm, they're not out there, cabs, especially very early in the morning. So I got out there at 443 on Broadway, and the cab arrived at 519. I'm soaking wet. I mean soaking wet. My dress shirt my sport jacket, my Burberry coat. I know I'm going to a funeral in a couple of hours, and I'm just in a terrible, and Bernie's not coming in today. So I'm now I'm in a terrible mood. And um, it didn't improve when I got to the office. I thought Justin would make me feel better, but it didn't happen. So, Well, um, you know, I mean, I, I still have about, uh, what, three hours? Yeah, I don't know. You don't think I'm going to be able to do it? I don't think so, no. No. Why's that? So then I get a text from Gene at like 20 after 5, which I showed to Christine on you guys. Sorry, I overslept. And I love the guy. Now, look, truth is, he is really, really um, on time every morning. He's always there. He's like the mailman. Rain, snow, shine. Gene is always there. Hard to complain. But I tip him very, very nicely. I take very, very good care of Gene. So on a morning like today, even though he's been great to me, great to me, I'm still pissed. You gotta text me before and let me know, so maybe I won't wear a, a wool coat. You know what I'm saying? Just I don't know. I just. So what do you? Where do you go from here? Do you? How do you? How do you? How do you reprimand such behavior? I don't know. I, I don't think I can do anything about it. Now knowing me, I get all angry, and then tomorrow Gene shows up. I'm like, hey buddy, good morning, good to see you. I missed you yesterday. No, I'll probably say something douchey like, "Thanks for leaving me out in the rain all morning." 
But um, I run the risk of him saying, hey, listen, I don't need to be at your house at 4.30 in the morning. I'm 68 years old. I'm kind of tired. And I don't need to be there at 4.30 in the morning, even for a $20 tip. I run that risk, and I don't want to lose him. So. Right. You got a good deal going. Right. So I probably can't say anything, which I, I hate that. I hate when somebody has the upper hand, and even when you're angry, you can't say anything about it. You're in you a pickle. Uh, I'm in a pickle, yes. So I got this funeral coming up today, and I have no idea how far Summit, New Jersey is. I imagine, well, you live in New Jersey, Christina. Put our mic on over here. How far is uh, Summit from here? So it's going to take you like 35. It's not bad. I'm That's not, it? Yeah, I'm very close to Summit. But then again, I, I, I'm driving in here at 430 in the morning, so I, I fly. But wait a second. The, the funeral starts at 1030, and I have a car coming at 9. Oh, perfect. You'll be there I don't way, wa- way ahead of time. I don't want to be there early, though. Then I have to mm. talk to everybody, and I don't want to. I don't want to do that. And you're not going to sure hit traffic. It's only 35 it's minutes. Martin Luther. A lot of people aren't working. You're not going to hit traffic today either. Not, no, no way, right? Nah. May have to. Uh, well, maybe I could say later for the show then. Hey now. Nah, Curtis is here already. He wants to do it. In fact, uh, David Patterson is coming on at 8:40 to celebrate MLK Day. Everybody knows David Patterson is married to one of Curtis's nine ex-wives. So uh, I thought it'd be kind of funny. If he did the interview with me, even though he's interviewed David Patterson before, but we should bring him in here for that, right? Why not, right? Yeah. I Listen, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, good radio, yeah, that falls under that category. Well, we're going to start it all off with John Katz and Matidis. Anytime we do one of these events, just Friday we had an event. Friday was um, Russian Happy New Year Day. We actually spoke to uh, Justin's girlfriend, Lisa. She's adorable, by the way. Was it Linda? That's Lisa. Yeah, she's very cute. Uh, so John kicked it off on Friday, the great owner of this station, the husband of the lovely Margot, John Katzmatidis. He'll be on at 7.05. And then the Reverend A.R. Bernard, every Sunday morning before John Katzmatidis does his great 8.30 a.m. Sunday show, we've got a show called The Rev and the Rabbi. Get some damn religion in your life. And the rabbi, of course, is uh, Joe Potashnik. The Rev is A.R. Bernard. And A.R. Bernard will join us coming up at 7.25 this morning. Then we'll have our Monday morning conversation with Rich Lowry from the National Review. Then at uh, 8.40, it's David Patterson. Then I'm gone. Then I don't care what happens after that. You don't care? No. All right. I really don't. Some guy, Norman Siegel, is coming on, but I'm not going to be here. So, I think Curtis uh, will be able to take care of that. I don't care. <laughs> is that bad? I've always maintained that. Every station I've been at, I, I never cared what was on before me, after me. I mean, I, you know, I love Katz and Matides. I do listen to his show at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not just saying that because he's my boss to suck up, but uh, ordinarily I just don't care. Well, usually I would say it's not great, but uh, today, given the circumstances, I would say you get a pass. You actually felt badly for me today. Yeah. I Is it because of the funeral because I was out in the rain for an hour? Both. Both, yeah. Yeah, you, I, I see you have a, a certain amount of sympathy for me. Yeah. He, you can see it, Christina, right? It's cute. I see it. I see it. Justin's such a nice guy. You like Justin. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Thanks, I Christina. Do. She was telling me last week, she was like, he's such, they're all such nice people. I'm like, no, they're not. Justin's a nice guy. Well, we no, say Justin's a lot of things about you that you don't hear behind this glass. Who says that? Nobody. What? <laughs> <laughs> you and Luke are my boys. Who's, uh, who's uh, uh, doing the call screen? Today we, got, today we got Richie over here. He's, uh, he's uh, I I training. Him. Yeah, he's been here before. He's trained on the board and uh, he's training on the phones today. On our L- show? Uh, I, I I just think they put 
uh, you know, they take our trainees and they put them on this show because they know it's the big show and they know, uh, you know, that you're going to get all the experience you need if you train on the big show. Okay. So if you train on the big show, you could do any other show on this. Station. Well, this is the Yankees. I say that all exactly. the time. You want you want to play for the Yanks? This show is the Yanks. Frank Morano checks in. I love Frank Morano. He says uh, John Sunday show now starts at eight. Yeah, it does. Frank Morano featured in the first thirty minutes. What do you mean featured in the first thirty minutes? What does that mean? I have no idea what he means by that. But yeah. John's show does start at eight. So the, he just talks about Frank Morano for thirty minutes every Sunday? No, no. Well, you I certainly hope or... not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we got like six guests coming up today. It was a crazy weekend. This uh, this Eric Adams, I, I tell you, I'm the I, I'm the only well Greg Kelly also, but I'm the only guy at this station outside of Greg Kelly that's been saying from day one what a phony this guy is, and I'm right again. I'm, I wish Bernie was here this morning because Bernie keeps buying in, and I keep giving Bernie story after story. He's like, well, well, maybe you're right. Now it turns out the day after some beautiful lady is shoved on the subways and killed. This uh, new mayor comes out and says crime on the subway is perception, not reality. This guy's a moron. We have the, the percentage of crime is up like 9 billion percent. 9 billion percent. People are getting mugged and killed. Literally, the day after this beautiful lady is murdered on the subway, this idiotic mayor comes out and says it's a perception. So you guys keep buying into the Eric Adams. And I don't want to hear again, well, at least he's better than de Blasio. So what? Who, who, who wouldn't be better than de Blasio? As I've said a million times, he needs to be significantly better than Bill de Blasio just to be a decent mayor, not even a good mayor. Significantly better, and he's not. He's full of it. He's a phony. He sucks up to racists, hanging out with Farrakhan years ago and all that nonsense. Crime on the subway is a perception? You kidding me? You got a daughter, right, Justin? No. Oh. Well, you got two boys, right, Christina? I do. Would you want to send one of your sons on the subway? Absolutely not. There you go. And the fact that he makes that statement the day after a, a woman is pushed in front of the subway, it's just, yeah, Life's it's crazy. all about timing. Timing is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he may want to say that for like a week later. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, jeez. So we got to talk about him today. And um, what happened to the Eagles yesterday? Did they win? No, they got their asses kicked. Of course they did. Yeah. Did you really think they weren't going to? I thought they would at least cover the spread. Well, I mean, they, they were getting seven points. And what they lose by? Like sixteen? They, they lost thirty-one to fifteen, but it was thirty-one to nothing. Yeah, I saw that. Like six minutes left in the. Well, I mean, uh, the Buccaneers did win the Super Bowl last year. They do have Tom Brady. He's won seven Super Bowls. It's not like they lost to the uh, you know the Saints. Yeah, but they were dropping like flies on the Buccaneers side. I, I mean, saw that. Yeah, they were the, all uh, the getting big, injured. Yeah, Wurfs got hurt. The big tackle, huh? Mm-hmm. The big tackle, and then uh, their center got hurt for a while. They, you know, they had some nobody snapping Tom Brady the balls. Were there any? Uh, oh, I guess the only uh, uh, underdog to win yesterday was the 49ers. They won in. Dallas, but to me, that's not a major underdog win because Dallas's offense really struggled the last quarter of the season. And one thing San Francisco does is, is they still play defense. That's the only underdog to win yesterday, right? Yeah, but it was only a th- three three point spread, three and a half, maybe. Right. That's why they they, they the rest of the uh, teams won big. Kansas City, big favorite, blew out the Steelers. Uh, Buffalo. I was surprised the Pats lost by thirty points on Saturday. By thirty? Yeah, Mac Jones ain't ready yet. He ain't ready yet. And then Saturday night, what was that game that, um, oh, the, uh, excuse me, the Raiders lost to the Bengals. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I got the schedule coming up for this weekend. So we got football. We've got crime in New York City. We've got Martin Luther King Day. We've got a bunch of guests. We've got the whole crew in the studio today. Justin Ellick, Pastina Christina, Frankie Diaz with an E, Mikey Garcia, and Richie Callscreener.
And what is, is Luke coming in today, too? Yeah, Luke is coming. He's on his way. His bus got delayed, so then he had to think about a train, and then the bus finally came. I don't really know. I don't understand. Wait, wait a second. His father, Larry, is like the like the second most powerful guy in the history of the stock exchange. He doesn't have a car? You would think he, just, he has a helicopter. I mean, seriously. Why is he taking buses and trains? Uh, beats me. His father's treating him the right way. That's why. There you go. You make your own money, kid. It's humbling. That's You know what I'm saying? There. Yeah, it's embarrassing. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9222. So the guests start at 7 o'clock with John Katz and Matidis. Then we get a run of like six or seven great guests in a row. Then I'm leaving here at 9 after David Patterson, Curtis Leewood takes over. And then me and Bernie are back together tomorrow morning. So there you have it. We're all set up. Great opening segment on this Monday morning, and we'll have more of Bernie and Sid, sans Bernie, right after these short messages. miserable out there if you're first getting out now. It's a heck of a lot worse at 4.30 this morning when I was standing on the corner of Broadway and 105th like a jerk-off, waiting for a cab for like an hour. Thanks, Gene. <laughs> now I'm a tough guy because he's not listening. Uh, big day today here on the station. It's MLK Day. We'll kick things off with John Katsimatidis coming up at 7.05. There was a lot of Joe Biden news from this weekend. Some of his favorite people on television were crushing him. It was really, really good stuff, and we've got all the audio. Everybody from uh, Burnett on CNN, my dear friend Chuck Todd, Meet the Press, all taking big shots at Joe Biden. So people are coming around. Let me grab these uh, two calls so quickly, then we'll get to the stuff for today. Ron is in Oceanport. He's on line one. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning. I'm going to try to be fair and reasonable. Yes, it's a horrible crime when someone gets pushed on the subway. It hurts. It hurts. But let's go statistically. So many people live in New York. So much is going on. It's unfortunate from time to time horrible things happen. I ride the subways. I go to New York. I feel more uh, at risk on the Garden State Parkway. I feel more at risk seeing people eating fast food or overweight. When you look at the big picture, I think you're right, but overreacting to the statistics. De- definitely, definitely not, Ron. Uh, maybe uh, murders and violent crimes. I got to tell you, my wife takes the subway back and forth to work two years ago. Almost twice a week, somebody rubbed up against her. Now, you may not think that's a big deal. Maybe nothing to you. Rubbed up against her, uh, touched her. My daughter, same thing happened to her. We've got a girl here at work who just told me just last week some crazy person went up to her and said, I want you to suck my blah, blah, blah. So you're wrong. I mean, you're just wrong. It may not be the violent crimes. You're not going to get murdered today, Ron. But it is a sleazy, disgusting, crime-riddled, filled with homeless 
And even though your ride is okay, you don't speak for everybody. I take the subways, too, and I see stuff happen almost every week. It's not okay. It's not perception. It is reality. It was one of the dumbest comments Eric Adams uh, will make. In fact, it's right in line with the Bill de Blasio comment. So if you're okay with it, Ron, fantastic. God bless you. And I wish you the best. And I hope you're safe when your trip is okay. But to say it's not that bad, you feel safer in the Garden State, is almost as dumb as Eric Adams' comment. Here's uh, Mario in Brooklyn on line three. Good morning, Mario. Oh, I'm sorry to change the subject, but uh, I just want to tell you real quick. I used to have a construction business, and I had four, five, six men working years ago. And uh, no one was ever late because what I did was four in the morning, 4.30, I text every one of them. And when I don't hear an answer, I have plan B. So maybe Gene, you could text him in the morning. This way, if he doesn't respond, you're ready for plan B. Yeah, but it's That's never awesome. happened. I mean, you have to understand, this guy's been taking me back and forth to work for two years. And uh, it's never happened. So I'm not going to text him every morning and be annoying. He's there. I mean, like I said, rain, slow, uh, snow, sleet. He's like the mailman. And the one or two times he couldn't make it, he would text me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., but I've never walked downstairs at 4.30 a.m., and he's not there with no explanation. So there's no reason to keep texting him back and forth. That becomes annoying. So thank you for the idea. But uh, in this case, Gene is usually very, very reliable. Okay, let's go back now to April 4th, 1968. That was the day that Martin Luther King was murdered in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a uh, brutal time here in America. That was a very, very rough year. You know, we often talk about are things worse now than ever with Donald Trump. We always go back to those late 60s. Those were some very, very tough years. Vietnam, race riots. In fact, I saw a movie last night which highlighted the race riots in Newark in the 1960s. And it was the prequel to The Sopranos. But I first saw that last night. I'll tell you about that. Anyway, here it is, April 4th, 1968. This is the actual call, news call, on ABC Channel 7 here in New York the day Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered. Good evening. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 39 years old and a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and the leader of the nonviolent civil rights movement in the United States was assassinated in Memphis tonight. A sniper's bullet cut down Dr. King as he stood on a hotel balcony in Memphis. Within an hour, Dr. King was dead. That happened at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The nation was shocked. President Johnson expressed horror and then postponed his trip to Hawaii until tomorrow. We're going to go to Memphis now. The Lorraine Motel is a favorite place for Negro leaders to stay while in Memphis. It's a very nice new modern motel. He was on this second floor balcony, out, standing exactly where these two officers are, talking with some of his aides at the time of the shooting. The uh, scene immediately became confused. Officers ran forward and, and uh, attempted to secure the area. The shot apparently came from an apartment building directly across the street. It was about a year ago this Saturday, it popped up on, on my uh, Facebook memory, that I watched that Regina King movie, One Night in Miami. And that movie it depicts one night when Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, the former great Cleveland Brown running back, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, the four of them, all spent one night together in Miami. I found it to be boring, but people loved it. They loved it. There were times it was good, I thought, but for the most part, I was bored. Anyway, Muhammad Ali back then, of course, knew Malcolm X. He knew Martin Luther King Jr. Here was Muhammad Ali after King's assassination. How would you describe Reverend Martin Luther King? What do you think of him? Well, I think he's a nice man, and what he's fighting for is what he thinks is right, and 
they're all our brothers, our leader teaches us, but they are just going after it the way they see. Uh, it would disgrace me to see my leader sitting in the car with a dog gardening. So I don't, they, they all right, but we just don't follow those kind of leaders. That's Muhammad Ali on Martin Luther King Jr. So again, we're going to dedicate all day today, it's a holiday, uh, to honoring the great late uh, Martin Luther King Jr. with guests throughout the day, every program starting with ours, and we start at 7.05 with John Katsimatidis, and again, Dr. A.R. Bernard, David Patterson, and a host of others. But sports and traffic are coming up momentarily. It is time now for the 77 WABC clip of the day, which I don't have. It's John Katz, baby. Oh, it's Katz, my man. With former Congressman Charlie Rangel. Rangel. That would be Rangel. That's right. So it's uh, Katz and uh, Charlie Rangel. This is the 77 WABC clip of the day. If Martin Luther King were alive today, would he be disappointed of what's going on in America? Of course he would be. My wife and I, we have a problem sometimes determining whether somebody was a Republican or a Democrat because they were just friends. They're just Americans. Yes. That's all they were. And we would have philosophical differences, but they all aimed at how to make America greater. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. All right, not Sydney, but Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Again, sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com or PavilionTankless.com for a daily near you. Peerless Boilers, America's best built boilers. More than enough football to go around this weekend as wildcard weekend in the NFL kicked off this season's playoff push. Saturday saw Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals defeat the Las Vegas Raiders at home by a score of 26-19. to In Buffalo, the Bills took it to the New England Patriots, sending them home with a 47-17 first-round shellacking. My beloved Eagles will kick rocks as well as they didn't fare much better in Tampa Bay. That 31-15 final score can't even do that game justice as Tom Brady and the Bucks made the Eagles look like a high school football team. The last of two NFC East teams to make the playoffs didn't last long either, as the Dallas Cowboys will be heading home early after a 23-17 loss at home to the San Francisco 49ers. Last but not least on Sunday, in what was most likely Ben Roethlisberger's swan song, the Pittsburgh Steelers fell to the Kansas City Chiefs 42-21. The opening act of this year's NFL playoffs will wrap up tonight in Los Angeles, where the Chargers will welcome the Arizona Cardinals. That kickoff is set for 8.15 p.m. Eastern time. Let's get local now with some Basketball and hockey as all five local teams were off yesterday. Let's look ahead as the Knicks are at home this afternoon for a matinee date with the Charlotte Hornets set for a 1 p.m. Eastern time tip. The Nets are in Cleveland a couple of hours later for a 3 p.m. Eastern time meeting with the Cavaliers. Quick look into the NHL's crystal ball as well as the Islanders welcome the Philly Flyers to town this evening for a 7.30 p.m. Eastern time faceoff. The Devils are postponed tonight in Toronto and will return to action Wednesday night when they face the Phoenix Coyotes at home. And the Rangers will join them at the same time come Wednesday when they battle the Maple Leafs at the Garden. Finally, some closure regarding the Novak Djokovic debacle in Australia as the world number one tennis player left Australia late on Sunday after the federal court upheld the government decision to cancel his visa. The tennis superstar faces an automatic three-year ban from entering the country, though Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has left the door open for Djokovic to compete at next year's Australian Open. That's your bottom of the hour sports update, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC, again sponsored by Peerless Boilers and Pavilion Tankless Water Heaters. Go to Peerless Boilers com or PavilionTankless.com for a deal near you. Peerless Boilers, America's best built boilers. Again, with sports, I'm Justin.
step one, you say we need to talk. He walks, you say sit down, it's just a talk. He smiles politely back at you. You stare politely right on through. Some sort of window to your right. She goes left and you stay right. Swing the lines, fear and blame. On your stormy Monday morning, I do want to get to the story about this terrorist attack at the shul in uh, Texas, which ended up uh, good. I was at dinner on Saturday night at the Mermaid Inn on the Upper West Side with my beautiful wife Danielle and my, my son Gabriel, and uh, we thought for sure that the rabbi and the folks in there would be killed. We thought for sure there was no way it was going to end up where they survive and the bad guy dies, but that's how it ended up. We'll get to that story. Coming up later on this morning, and then all the audio again from all the folks that crushed Joe Biden this weekend. Not the folks you would suspect, people like Aaron Burnett and Chuck Todd. We've got all that. But once again, for me, the story that really gets me going, because I've been very critical of this guy from day one. I've been calling him a phony since day one, trying to get Bernie to come on my side. I think Bernie's just about there at this point. The headline in today's New York Post reads, The Fear is Rail. R-A-I-L. That's very funny. New Yorkers are not buying Adam's claim. Dread is just perception after deadly subway push. We just had a caller even moments ago who was saying it's exaggerated. Some uh, guy who sounds very nice, but is clearly a moron. Uh, anyway, here he is. He knows more about the subways than anybody. He's helped patrol them and keep them safe as best as he can for the last 40 years. And even knows the perp who committed this heinous crime and that is uh, Curtis Sliwa taking over for me later on this morning. Curtis, good morning. How are you, pal? Nah, I've had better days. Uh, I look. I warned everybody. You remember, Sid? I warned you. I say, You're Eric not the Adams. One. I was on the same page. I know you were. But I warned the city. This guy's styling and profiling. Got his Ferragamo jammies on. He's got his custom-made suits. He's not going to be law and order. I want, oh, no, you know, car, 22 years every day. I want bulletproof vest, carry the gun, I'm law and order. And you should have recognized when he didn't take on Alvin Bragg. Ooh, let's hug thugs, not prosecute them. And Eric Adams was giving him tactical air support. You should have realized the real Eric Adams was coming to the surface. Well, even before then, I've had multiple discussions with Bernard Carrick. And Bernard, of course, was the commissioner of the police when, in fact, Eric Adams ran that unit of his, a troublemaking unit. And he said, all I remember about this guy was he was more trouble than good. Now we're dating back to 2001, 9-11. So this is not new that Eric Adams is a troublemaker. He's a bit of a phony. Uh, and, yes, the Alvin Bragg thing really put it over the top. But when he says crime is a perception, uh, I know you and your folks on those subways every day. Perception. I mean, how crazy is that? How crazy is that? Who said that for eight years? Oh, oh, Bill de Blasio. Blasio. Yes. And Eric Adams was his partner, his friend. And helped take a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroying the city that we love. Brooklyn was in the worst shape crime-wise. Eric Adams did nothing about crime eight years as borough president. Yesterday, in the aftermath of the killing of the Asian woman by this deranged, emotionally disturbed guy, a guy I've known, a guy I've had conversations with, yeah. who could flip the script and have psychotic disorder at a moment's notice, 
And he said, oh, it's all perception. You're actually safe on the subway. And then all of the politicians who had that press conference, they came in SUVs. They left in SUVs. None of them got back on the train. It's like real. No New Yorker agrees with this. Where does he get off saying this? It's exactly the line that de Blasio used for eight years. Eric Adams, do your freaking job. Get the homeless people off the subways into the shelters. The emotionally disturbed are out for psychiatric uh, treatment at the many hospitals that can treat them. And get the cops walking up and down the trains. You don't see transit cops in the subways. They're hiding. (laughs) They're on their iPhones and their smartphones texting and sexting. Oh, yeah, they're in touch with Central Command. Get out of here. There's 4,000 cops. Tell me when you see them, when they are. They're emulsified together. There's like nice. eight of them together. Yeah. They need to get actively involved in patrols and take the subway back. And Eric Adams signaled yesterday, waving the white flag, I'm doing what de Blasio said. It's all a myth. It's all perception. You know what the perception is? Eric Adams claiming that white supremacists <laughs> yeah, I know. are stalking him. In fact, I dedicated a whole week of my life, a week I'll never get back. I was at Bed Bath & Beyond. My favorite they place. were having a white sheet sale, and I figured, God, I don't know of any white supremacists in the five boroughs, and I know almost everyone. If they're all white supremacists, they'll come by the sheets. <laughs> the clerks came up to me. They said, Curtis, why are you here? Then I had to use some technology. You know, I'm here to prevent all the shoplifting going on in Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> right, oh, thank God. Thank you, Curtis. What supremacy, white supremacists, uh, listen, that I'm are threatening you. him? It doesn't exist, and that was the reason he gave for hiring his brother. More nonsense. I mean, it's all nonsense with Eric Adams. It really isn't. You know, look, uh, all people are going to say to you is, well, at least he's better than Bill de Blasio, which is so what? You know, uh, just to play devil's advocate. Yes. Eric Adams is the mayor of New York City. Yes, he is. He does want people to come to New York City. He does want people to spend money in New York City. He is aware, I guess, that not everybody can drive into New York City. So if I said to you, look, we know he's statistically wrong. We know he sounds crazy. But he wants people to enjoy the city because if the city thrives economically, that's better for him. All that's, right, let, let's, let's look at the options here. Okay. okay. All right. All right. You take the subways. You get mugged or thrown in front of an incoming <laughs> train. You can't get a seat because the homeless, they're copping a squat there. Right. You got an emotionally disturbed guy in the corner. He's pleasurizing himself while he's talking to the wall. Yeah. Now, it's, okay, I'm going to drive in. They clip you, you know, the tolls. you got to take a reverse mortgage. And now they carjack you in midtown Manhattan. Yeah. They put a gun to your head. They take your car. You say, oh, I'll take a city bike. It's freezing outside, right? How the hell are you going to get into the city without becoming a crime victim? And what does Eric Adams say? That's a perception, Curtis. Crime is down in the subways. Now, you would think he would take his transit police commissioner to task, a woman named Riley, who failed with de Blasio, and now it's the Peter Principle. Let's keep her in place. Let's kick her upstairs. Fire her! Right. Send a signal to all of us. You're going to take control of this situation. But he's not. He's not. But he's got to know that New Yorkers know better. Like, he has to know when he makes a comment like that, and timing is everything, and he makes that comment a day after a beautiful Asian lady is murdered on the subway. So his timing is all. it wasn't just him, Eric Adams. Okay. Then you saw Congresswoman Meng come to the microphone. Uh You know, he was the puppeteer. Come here, Meng. I need an Asian. 
to say this was not an anti-Asian crime. 360% increase attacks on Asians. Uh, by the way, who, who commits those attacks? Blacks. Thank you. It's not white supremacists? And regular. It's not white black supremacists? People. No. No? Black people. It's not Hasidim? Almost predominantly black people. <laughs> Just like when your peeps were being attacked three Hanukkahs ago, right? Who did that? Black people. Okay. Emotionally disturbed and right. gangs. Right. So instead of dealing with that problem and saying, we have a problem, you know, we, our people have a problem. Yeah. Oh, that's just a perception. And it was not an anti-Asian crime. He could have done that with anybody. No, he pushed an Asian woman who's our neighbor from the Upper West Side into the tracks. That is the worst way to die. The worst way to die. And then he runs down a Canal Street, turns himself in. And then you saw him walk on the perp line screaming, F you, she tried to steal my jacket. Why the hell wasn't he in a psychiatric facility? You know, he was on parole. He did two years for robbery. I remember having conversations with him. You know, Curtis, I'm well, that, that, that's, all, that's all part of the criminal bail reform nonsense, too, which is not Eric Adams' fault yet, but that's all part of that, too. You know, it's, uh, we're just kind of joking around, and uh, the crimes that are committed against the Asians, overwhelmingly, if not everyone, committed by a black person. Absolutely. Same thing with the Jews. And today's Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we're going to celebrate all day. And, you know, listen, we've come a long way. We've come despite what they want you to believe out there. But there are some some real issues out there still. Some real issues. Absolutely. With the way blacks and whites treat each other, with the black crime inside their community. Eric Adams is the mayor. Great. Barack Obama, president. Great. Kamala Harris, vice president. Yes, we've made some strides here. But some of the same nonsense is still going on 60 years later. How do you think I'm okay with Phil today looking at a story like that? First of all, I, I, I never try to extrapolate Everybody says, well, if Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, this is what he would say. Right. How do we know? I mean, this was so long ago. Times were different. How about talking about what you feel and what you would do? What we do know is he brought people together. Unlike, um, at that time, Malcolm X, who was dividing people. Right. Calling you, you know, Jews, uh, you know, good, white people, dividing. Couldn't stand Malcolm X. Right. Burn, baby, burn. Right. And yet he was a healer, Martin Luther King Jr., bringing people together. Remember, when he was shot and killed by James Earl Way, remember, never trust anybody with three names. I never totally trust agree. anybody with three names. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He was coming there to help the sanitation men and women uh, who were barely making minimum wage in Memphis. He was against the war. He took a lot of heat for being against the Vietnam War, which is a complete waste. How many of our friends, how many of people we grew up in the neighborhood, we have to visit them now in the veteran cemeteries. A waste of a war. There was so many positive things to say about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. But I don't know what he would say today, and nobody really does. Stop using his name. That's like using his name with vain. If Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today, this is what he would say. We don't know that. No, it's completely fair. You're right. And and we do have to pay attention to what's going on right now, and Eric Adams is the mayor, and when you combine the fact that, A, he did endorse Alvin Bragg, even after Bragg came out and said uh, all those ridiculous things, now he said something as silly as crime on the subway is just a perception. Let's not forget when he swore in uh, Shul, who's a great police commissioner, he did a good job there, he was standing in front of a mural with somebody who killed cops and went away to Cuba a very, very long time ago. Uh, of course, you still have the rumors out there, not even rumors, it's probably fact, that he hung out with uh, Farrakhan. Yes. So that's that's not a rumor. That's not a rumor. That's okay. not a rumor. So, so at what point do we all come to the realization, not just Sid and Curtis who ran against him and Greg Kelly, do we all come to the realization that this guy is really a phony? He's just a phony. All he's got to do is follow up on what he said he would be, a law and order mayor. 
Do your freaking job. Well, he's open two between Bragg and the subway comet. He's open two, and those are two bad losses. And have you seen any improvement in the streets? A no. cop, remember, New Year's Day, a cop was shot in the head, uh, 25th precinct, right near that Burger King, where that uh, that enemy of society killed that 19 year old girl. Have they been able to catch anybody who shot that no, cop in no, the head? No. So you got to put. They firebombed a police car. Last stop, number six train. They should have tossed every mutt, every skeleton in the area who was committing crime. That's how you sweat out information. You get tough. You don't get soft and say, we're going to have mental health experts come in here because we don't want the cops dealing with this. That is not the Eric Adams. I mean, look, you've you got to give him a little bit of time here. He, you know, you had eight years of uh, basically uh, communist rule, and we allowed the criminals hold, hold to on, run. Hold on a second. At this rate, Sid, nobody will be here. Nobody will be <laughs> left. This city is empty. <laughs> Everyone get... will have fled to yeah, Florida, yeah, yeah, Georgia, yeah. North uh, Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. You know, Look at all the four sale signs uh, in the outer No, you're right. It's funny you say that, too, because I was watching – I watch a lot of HDTV now with my wife. That's our, like our favorite channel. We watch hours and hours of hometown USA and, and, and fix it or love it, whatever it is. We love these shows. And um, there was a couple buying homes in North Carolina, looking at homes at about you know, $1.2 million, for example, 10 times the size of any house you'd buy in New Jersey, in the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains, Asheville, North Carolina. And we're going, what are we doing? What are we doing? The weather sucks. It's filthy. Homeless everywhere. Taxes are through the roof. What are we doing? There are, there are actually states in this country that are beautiful, that you get a huge bang for your buck. You can live like a king, and you're right. You come to New York, and with all the talk, we're the greatest city. We're the greatest city. We're not even we're close. We're not the greatest city in the world any longer. Stop this tick. It's like a tick. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. We're the greatest city in the world. Well, if we're the greatest city in the world, where are all the people? The streets are empty. The stores are closed. Four lease, four rent. 75% of these buildings, office buildings, are empty. And guess what? The workers have learned they have a better quality of life at home. They can do their work. They spend more time with their kids. They shop with vendors in their neighborhoods. They're not coming back. They're not getting back into the rat race. Two hours like sardines coming in. Two hours running home. Let's face it. Isn't it about quality of life? Yes. When all is said and done. Yes. So. If Eric Adams, if you can provide a better quality of life, yes, the workers will slowly return. But you can't yell at him like he did the other week. I want all you CEOs to make your workers come back. And then all of a sudden, maybe pretty please three days a week (laughs) instead of five. They can't do it. People were telling them, cut my pay. I'm not coming to work in the city anymore. I'm not. No, I know. It, it, it's rough. And, again, comments like what he, what he made yesterday about the subway don't help. Well, you're brilliant. You're great. And you'll be back at uh, about 830. You and I will interview David Patterson together. Then I'm going to go to a funeral in New Jersey. You'll take over. So thank you for that great segment. And I'll see you again in about two hours. By the way, can I sit shiver for the city of New York? Who do I bring the Hamantash into? Because uh, this city is dying. I think Dove Hyken would uh, agree with you out on Long Island. Very religious Jewish man. You could sit with him. Did you ever tell the story about uh, Eric Adams' relationship with Farrakhan? Ah, you <laughs> promised. You promised Sid and Bernard. And then you delivered wolf tickets. You had to go to Israel the next day. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll get him hey, on. We'll, we'll, come we'll, on, we'll, Eric sat down with him and made a deal. <laughs> come on. I'm a street guy here. Come on, Sid. I'll find out. Yes, yeah, I'm sure out. you will. All right. Dobbin, eight- Dobbin with him and find out while you're part of the minion. <laughs> 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. Curtis, we'll be back in about 90 minutes. Three great guests coming up next hour. John Katsimatidis, A.R. Bernard, and Witch Lowry. It's a very busy and exciting Martin Luther King Monday here on WABC. Great segment with Curtis.
Three more guests next hour. Keep it right here. Stormy Monday morning with Bernie and Sid. Oh, good too. So it's funny. I want to get for celebrating Martin Luther King Day today. And I decided last night, me and Danielle, to watch The Many Saints of Newark, which, of course, is the prequel to The Sopranos. I liked it more than most people liked it. I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, but it did center on the race riots in Newark, New Jersey, in the late 1960s. Have you seen that movie? I did not. I mean, I, I heard a lot of discouraging things about it, so yeah, I didn't want to ruin so it because I. I was a big Sopranos fan. Yeah, me too. Huge Sopranos fan. And um, look, if you're looking to be as good as the Sopranos, nothing is ever going to be as good as the Sopranos. Nothing. But if you want to see a good movie, I thought it was good. It centered around Vicky Montesanto. So Christopher, his father, his father was really the big crime boss. And Anthony was a young kid. And he looked up to Uncle Dicky Montesanto, Chris, Christopher's father. You find out who kills him. Should I give all this away? Uncle Wait. June kills Christopher's father. Oh, really? And then, you, and then, of course, if you watch The Sopranos, Anthony kills Christopher. So The Sopranos really Why did in the movie. Why are you telling me this? I don't know. It's, it's a I'm movie's like, been out for two years. Yeah, but I'm on season four, and you just told me that oh, Tony kills, like, literally his, his son figure. Whatever. It's fine. It's a good movie. Uh, what's his name? Is He plays twin brothers. Uh, what's his name? He played um, Henry Hill in Goodfellas. Ray Liotta. He's pretty good. And um, you get to know everybody. Uh, even the, the guy that plays a young Stephen Van Zandt, Silvio, was very funny. So check it out. It's not bad. Is there a young Carmela in this movie? There is uh, no young Carmela, but there's a young, his mother. Remember Nancy Marchand? Oh, yeah. Of How course. great she was? Ooh, yeah. His mother and a young Janice who ate a Torturo place. Oh, for the sister. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good. Check it out, folks. Many Saints of Newark. Don't listen to what people tell you. It's not great. It's not going to win an Academy Award, but it's a fun movie. If you, if you like The Sopranos, it, it's interesting to see the younger characters when they're much younger and how they came into play. All right, three great guests, starting with John Katsimatidis, coming up this hour. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We got Deb Valentine with the news. Then hour number two of Bernie and Sid. No Bernie, he's back on Tuesday right after this. Let freedom reign from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom reign from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring and we make When we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. And now the end is near, and so I face final curtain My friend I'll say it clear I'll state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway and more 
Much more than this I did it my way So when you go to page 20 in today's New York Post, big color ad, which we do all the time here, John Katsimatidis does, and it reads, Join us today in celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. And then a quote, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but the content of their character, which we don't do today. All we do is talk about the color of their skin. Kamala Harris won because she's black. And Eric Adams has a chance to win because he's black. Not because either one of them could be great at their job. We do way too much of that in society today. And some great guests stopping by from Alveda King to the Reverend A.R. Bernard, who'll join us next. Governor David Patterson, Charlie Rangel, who I love dearly. Me and Bernie love Charlie Rangel and a host of others. But all this, again, made possible by the same guy who put on the big Russian New Year party on Friday. Greeks, Jews, cops, it doesn't matter. If there's a big day in New York or around the country, we celebrate here because that's the type of leadership we've got at this station led by the beautiful couple, John and Marco Katsimatidis. John does a great show, 5 o'clock every weekday afternoon, 8 o'clock every Sunday morning, and here he is kicking off our MLK celebration, the aforementioned my dear friend John Katsimatidis. Good morning, John. How are you, buddy? Good morning, good morning, and uh, Monday morning. The guy probably thought you were taking the day off. Uh, that's why he didn't come pick you up. <laughs> he, he is an African-American guy. He, he may have thought that, but no, I was out there in the rain, John, waiting to come to work today because this is a very important day, uh, uh, evidenced, by the way, by what we're doing at this station all day long. Well, WABC, what, what we're doing is we're members of the community. And if the community is celebrating something, we are standing next to them, uh, shoulder to shoulder. And uh, uh, we have become involved in almost every sector, almost every sector of the community, whether it's women, whether uh, it's uh, cops, whether it's blacks, whether it's uh, Hispanics. And uh, that's what WABC is all about, is being a member of the community, reporting all the news uh, that's the truth, and uh, that's what we're doing. And Martin Luther King was a great man, and uh, I listened to some of the words he says about uh, t- uh, talking to his people and say, let's not talk about burning down cities, let's talk about building up cities. And I think the black people have come a long way in the last 50 years since Martin Luther King, and, and I don't think there's a single black person that can be held back in this country, if they want to get a good education and work hard, they're going to be successes. And uh, I've been a member of the Police Athletic League. Um, uh, I've been helping for 37 years. I started with Bob Morgenthorpe. And uh, me and Ray Kelly or Bill Bratton used to go to uh, the PAL centers, and uh, we looked at the kids, and I said, I said to those kids, uh, I am from Harlem. I grew up in Harlem. If I can make it, you can make it too. And that's the big difference, you know, that these kids in our inner cities have to know that they have a chance. And uh, that, that, that's the big thing that uh, we're not getting enough of. We need enough people talking to these kids that they have a chance at success, not, uh, not failure. And uh, 
you know, don't burn down our cities. Let's build them up. I mean, Sid, what say you? No, listen, I was born in 1967, John, so I'm a little uh, younger than you. And, I, 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 you know, when I was a kid, I, I remember the race riots on King's Highway in Brooklyn, believe it or not, and, and in that area. And I remember uh, the, the, the way white people treated black people and vice versa. And we've come a long way. Now, look, look. We have come a long way, and I think you're right. Every person in this country, regardless of race, color, or creed, has the opportunity to succeed. But here's where I'm more rational than most. I do admit, I do admit, there is still plenty of racism in this country. I do admit that black people are not treated the same as white people still. So even though it's gotten a heck of a lot better, a heck of a lot better, we are not close to being where we should be just yet. You agree or disagree? Oh, I think there's there's a ways to go, but I think we've come a long way. Yeah. And uh, if the, the black person helps himself, that will help a lot. In other words, I'll give you another situation. I was standing in front of one of the Gristini stores. As a matter of fact, and, uh, when we had the grand opening of the store where you live. Is that right? And this kid, yeah, and, and this was a while back, and this kid comes up to me. Uh, uh, with his hat on backwards, his, uh, and he's disheveled. And uh, he says to me, hey, man, man, can I get a job, man? <laughs> and I said to him, if you clean up a little bit, yeah. if, you, if you look a little bit more civilized, of course you can get a job. Right, right. So it, it, it comes down to you got to help yourself be part of the community before other people Except you. Uh, you're right. And, and, uh, you're 100 percent right. And, and that's what it comes down to. No, you're right. The African-American community. And Charles Barkley says this a lot. The uh, great basketball player needs to take a good look in the mirror, whether it's the parenting issue, the father issue. And they have to clean up their own community. There's no question about it. Now, uh, to your credit, there's a bunch of African-American people that work at that Christides, which I was at again just yesterday. But I got to tell you, John, I got yelled at yesterday. You didn't have your mask on. That's right. <laughs> I said, well, wait, I said, I said, the owner, John, is my friend. They said, we know, Sid, we know, but you still got to wear a mask. <laughs> you know what it comes down to? We know you're a tough guy, but sometimes you have to bend a little bit and be a little bit cooperative just to be a nice guy, too. I know, and I do. There's such nice people there. And I got to say this, John, in this uh, day and age of supply chain issues, where all these stores are running out of everything, I got to be honest, my Gristides on 103rd and Broadway, there's never an issue. Never. We work harder, I said. <laughs> That's the key, right? If you work harder. You know, if you look at, on television and stores around the country, these shelves are empty. Yeah. You've never seen that in our stores. Never. Never once. Never. I swear Never, ever, ever, and I'm in your store, Gristides, at least four we times a week. Alter- we have alternative suppliers, and if we can't get it from A, we get it from B. If we can't get it from B, we get it from C. Our shelves are never empty, and we, our people, the Gristides people, the D'Agostino people, work very, very hard, and they come to work. You know, they came to work 365 days yep. uh, during COVID. Yep. Nobody, the stores never closed. 
We've always been there for the community, and, and that's what it's all about. I agree. Uh, by the way, Joe Parisi does a great job getting my son Gabriel his uh, flavored waters over at Christine's on, on 103rd. So who do you have coming on the, uh, the big show this afternoon to celebrate MLK Day? Well, trying to figure it out. We had the other big controversy that me and uh, uh, Dick Moore started right. in 2024. <clears throat> you know, round two, Hillary versus Trump. Yeah, I know. It's coming. And, and the, the truth is, it could happen, as I said. Yep. Uh, Hillary, I think Hillary wants to do it because she's got nothing else to do. Right. And she wants to bring the Democratic Party back. Trump, Trump wants it back, too. So round two, let's see what happens. Well, let me ask you this. You know, look, I mean, he won last time. He won the majority of the states. She did win the popular vote because uh, people will have to figure this out. When you win states like New York and California, which she wins in big fashion because she's a Democrat, you're always going to win the popular vote. But he did win the majority of the electorals and the states. Do you think it'll be any different this time around? Do you think Hillary Clinton has a chance to beat Trump if, in fact, it's Clinton versus Trump again? If you ask me today, uh, it's a flip of the coin. It's 50-50. 50-50. Now, what if Michelle Obama enters the race? I don't think she's entering the but race. But if she does, she wins, right? Not necessarily. I think okay. it's back to the 50-50. Okay. Well, Trump needs to talk. To, I know he talks to you anyway. I know that he's called you for advice. You're like Bill O'Reilly. So if he does decide uh, to do uh, face either one of those two, he needs to make sure he's talking to you. You know what I'm saying, John? <laughs> well, the, the truth is, uh, you know, and I've said this to him many times, it's, you know, he does a lot of things right. Yep. He's a smart man. He does a lot of things right. He just has to lighten up on somebody, uh, his comments. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. He's a smart man. He's a good leader. But he gets silly with some of that stuff, much like I do. Anyway, listen, uh, thank you for another great day here at and WABC. Think, by the way. I think Hillary would do a much better job than Joe Biden. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Sid, you would do a much better job than Joe Biden. Yeah, he's not off to a very good start, John. I'll give you that. In fact, I've got great audio from people that he thought were his friends. Aaron Burnett, CNN, Chuck Todd, Meet the Press, that savaged Joe Biden this weekend. So even his friends are starting to turn uh, against Joe Biden. But uh, thank you for this day again. Thank you for everything. You know how great you are, the station is. And enjoy the celebration today, John. You're the best. I love God you. Thank you. And God bless uh, everything that Martin Luther King did. And Agreed. Uh, I have a lot of respect for them, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about him all day long. Thank you, John. The great John Katsimatidis coming up at uh, 5 o'clock this afternoon. He puts on a tremendous show. And then, of course, uh, 8 a.m. Sunday mornings. And he really is a good soul. Bottom line with John Katsimatidis is it doesn't matter how much money he's got, who he knows, because he's got plenty of both. He's a good soul. It's a good man. And his wife, Margot, also lovely. So he kicks it off today, a full day of celebration to celebrate MLK Day. You know what always uh, surprised about MLK Day? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not that bright. And I always thought that on a day like this, especially African-American people, they should have the day off. Does that make sense, or is that does it make sense? I I I could see why you would say right, that. Right, yeah. as a little kid, as a little kid. Right, right. Richie, uh, to Richie the Corskin. So my wife goes, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound that that doesn't sound right. I go, what doesn't sound right about it? He was African American. Uh, Richie's African American. Our call screener today, he agrees with me. I was always surprised that every team in the NBA plays today, <laughs> and the league is like ninety percent black. I would have thought of all leagues, like the NFL, too, if they were going to take a day off, it would be today. Yeah, but they're playing a game for a living, so it's a little bit 
like people who actually have to go. Well, wait and, a second, ML, and, and they're work. making they're making millions and millions of dollars. Exactly, they live these beautiful, charm lives. Exactly. Well, they they got to thank MLK for some of that, no? Well, I would assume that uh, the, with the games that are going on today, there would be some sort of uh, pregame ceremony. No, there is. Or, yeah. yeah. So that's the answer. I guess they do honor him today, right? I, I would appreciate the, the day off. What is that, Rich? I would appreciate the day off. Maybe a coupon, you know, a free meal somewhere. I don't right. Know. There you go. So you think uh, if you're African-American, you should be off today? Uh, yeah, you know, for especially if non-essential workers, if I, if I don't need to be in, why right. not, right? Well, how come you're here today? Because I'm a team player. You need the job. <laughs> don't want to pay off these loans, okay? <laughs> I know. Those loans are a son of a bitch. 1-800-848-WABC. 1-800-848-9220. Now, before John's great show on Sunday mornings, we've got a show called The Rev and the Rabbi. The rabbi is Joe Potashnik. He's a terrific guy and a great rabbi. The reverend is A.R. Bernard, and he's going to join us as we celebrate MLK Day coming up next. Bill O'Reilly here, and I'm warming up from the NRIA.net studios in New York. Stand by for the O'Reilly Update Morning Edition. On this Monday, I think it's safe to say that last week was the worst week in President Biden's term. So far, it is a disaster for two reasons, record-breaking inflation and record-breaking COVID cases. That one-two punch has put Mr. Biden on his back, figuratively speaking. Now, maybe it'll get better. It would be unfair to say it will not. But at this point, According to Gallup, which is a fairly reliable poll outfit, Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden if the presidential election of 2024 were held today. The numbers Gallup put out last week, Trump would win 46 to 40. Now, that's amazing because Donald Trump remains an extremely divisive figure in this country and is unpopular among some independents and Republicans. The never-Trump people continue to operate. But right now, the American people have seen enough of Joe Biden, and they are remembering that under Donald Trump, COVID was going down, and there was no inflation at all. Those are the facts. And to compare it to what is happening now under President Biden, Donald Trump looks pretty good. That is the morning O'Reilly update. More analysis later on. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street. That's Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, it's Presley for you. This goes out to Kelly DiGirolamo from the Icebox Cafe in the Bronx, a huge Bernie and Sid listener, huge fan of our show. Kelly, also a good friend of Jen the Botox lady. Remember when I was uh, sick and dying from bronchitis and I couldn't get a Z-Pack? Yeah, you were in terrible shape, huh? Yeah. Kelly was the one who actually contacted uh, Botox Jen at Dolce and got me the, the Z-Pack. So she says, good morning. Today is my birthday. I'd love if you could play some Elvis. He was a huge MLK fan, and he was also from Memphis. We know that, where MLK was murdered. P.S. I'm the same age. Oh, I'm not going to put that point in. 
<laughs> Kelly, happy birthday, sweetheart. Okay, we continue MLK Day, which Lowry is coming up next, and we'll talk about Joe Biden. It's getting really bad for Biden. Even his own people are starting to crush him now. Uh, we'll get back to that terrorist attack. Maybe we'll do that now with AR in uh, Texas. And, um, of course, all the other news of the day, the big football weekend. We're down to how many teams now? Uh, well, you start with 16, so you're down to 8. Is that right? I believe so. I think you're right. I think it's down to 8. I've got the matchups uh, here in front of me. Let's see. Uh, you get the Bengals taking on the one-seed Titans. Bengals beat the Raiders. Also in the AFC, you get the Bills taking on the Chiefs. In the NFC, you get the 49ers who held on and beat Dallas on the road, taking on the one-seed Packers. And then the winner of tonight's game between the Cardinals and the Rams will take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. The road to Super Bowl 56 in California, which I may go to. I'm uh, trying to convince John and Chad to let me do at least one show from Radio Row at the Super Bowl coming up in a couple of weeks. Sunday mornings before John comes on at 8, the Rev and the Rabbi, that is a great show. Terrific show. The Rabbi, of course, Close personal friend, Joe Potashnik. So is the Reverend A.R. Bernard. Great day to have him on. So with that said, let's bring him in. Happy Martin Luther King Day, A.R. Bernard. How are you, pal? I am doing blessed this morning. How are you, Sid? I'm uh, very well, thank and you. Bernie. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, Bernie's not here today. He'll be back tomorrow. He hasn't been feeling very well, but uh, he'll be back tomorrow. Are you specifically blessed today because of MLK or because you're on with me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I both. I'm blessed because it's MLK Day, and I live in America, the greatest nation in the world. No and, doubt. Uh, to be on the uh, the Sid and Bernie show, of course. That's a big deal. But on a serious note, uh, MLK, and it's an obligatory question. It's almost lame, but it's one that needs to be asked. On a day like today, what does he mean to you? You know, MLK means different things to different people. Like anything, it depends on you, you know, who you ask. But I will tell you, he, he represents change. He represents the possibility that although we're not a perfect union, that we can continue to strive towards a perfect union. Uh, and I think that's, that's what he symbolizes to me uh, and to many people. You know, in, in, a, in a 1967 interview with NBC News, uh, that was four years after his I Have a Dream speech, which he's well known for, and a couple of years after the passage of the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act, you know, Dr. King admitted in that interview that he had not lost hope, but after reflection and analysis, his optimism had been tempered by reality. The reality that there were difficult days ahead and a long, long way to go in the struggle for equity. And we continue that struggle. So he was being optimistic, but at the same time, realistic in terms of what it would take to change our nation. Here's silly question number two, then. I'm going to ask you to jump into his body, which I know you can't do, and he's gone a long time. <laughs> but if you had to take, uh, just take a guess for me. What do you think you would feel about what's going on today? Yeah, far be it for me to say what's in his mind. But, you know, I look, I'm, I'm a reverend, so a passage of Scripture comes to mind, Proverbs 13, 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the, the word sick, there's a Hebrew word, hala, which means not only disease, but worn out, having your patience and tolerance exhausted. And I think our nation is suffering from the deferral of hope. In the last 40 years, you know, people of color uh, have experienced unprecedented wealth, education, and upward mobility. But the American dream continues to be delayed for many of our citizens, white and black. And I think that Dr. King would speak to that reality. 
Yeah, you're right. And, and not only the uh, the opportunities but uh, to succeed and make money, but we've seen some big positions from President Obama to Vice President Kamala Harris to Mayor Eric Adams. He becomes the third African-American mayor in this city. So we're seeing opportunities for African-American folks that we have not seen before. Bernie and I uh, seemingly spend every day railing against the notion that we live in a racist country. We believe at least, uh, and we know for a fact, we've got statistics to back us up, that cops are not out there every day uh, looking to, to arrest and or kill black people. They're, they're just not. It's just not true. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, example f- for us, he's not a hero. He's part of the problem in today's society. I, I don't know how you feel about all that. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I don't. I think I, you know, when we talk about what's the problem <laughs> and who's the problem, I think everybody plays a role. Everybody adds something, whether it's to stir controversy, whether it's to point out a problem, whether it's speak to speak to the fact that things have gotten better. I think every voice counts. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a time and a culture and a climate where the extremes are becoming the norm. So that's why, you know, the Reverend Rabbi show, we try to have a, a civil, civil discourse and find common ground where we can agree well, well, in well, order to move things forward. Well, right. So here's Reverend A.R. Bernard along with the rabbi. There's a magnificent show Sunday mornings at 7 before John Katsimatidis. So how do you feel? Do, do you feel like police brutality is a real thing and it's it's uh, uh, basically that African-American folks have bullseyes on their backs? Do you feel like Colin Kaepernick is out there with the right message? How do you feel? I'm not going to beat up on Colin Kaepernick. I think that he symbolizes something, just like George Floyd symbolizes something. What does George Floyd symbolize? I don't know. You tell me. It, it symbol, <laughs> it symbol, he symbolize. Look, look. What do we see? Look, America. Oh, wait a second. Well, hold on, hold on. And I, I, I don't want to. Uh, I want to keep this civil too, because I happen to love you, and you're a, a man of religion. You're a wonderful man. George Floyd was not a good person. He was arrested nine times. He put a gun in a pregnant woman's stomach. He happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, high on drugs, and he was murdered. There's no question he was murdered. But to set this country on fire and turn it upside down for George Floyd, and by the way, he's not the only one. The other one, Blake, well, was on, a bad on, guy. Let me say yeah. this to you. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. It's, it's not George Floyd. It's not him or his record. It was the picture, the image of the police officer with his knee in the neck of George Floyd for that period of time. Right. It was reminiscent of the same images of fire hoses on children uh, uh, and dogs being let go on civil rights worker. Images like that evoke emotional response. Uh, but, but some time, of the, but, in a long time in this country, yeah. all right, we had a national consensus of moral outrage. Why? Because we were talking about the life and dignity of a human person, regardless of whether they had a criminal record well, or no, you not. Can't, no, but wait a second. You can't say regardless if, in fact, he was hopping high on drugs, wouldn't sit in the back of the car again. The cop was guilty. I'm glad he was guilty, and he's going to serve basically the rest of his life in prison. So justice was served. But don't compare that to a bunch of little kids getting hosed with water who are doing nothing other than playing in the street. Wait, 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 wait. I'm talking about what these images and to put the light on George Floyd and his record as opposed to what the image evoked in our nation is what we reacted to. All right. is to redirect. It it takes things sometimes like that to get us to think critically about where we are as a nation and what we need to do. But don't you think forward. but don't you think it's it's a little odd that in almost every one of these cases, almost every one that again is evoking emotion, which I'm all for. And again, I'm I, I admit I, I've got a cousin, for example, Kyra lives in Atlanta. Okay? Wonderful girl. She's black. Um, she, her father was black, married my cousin who's white. She's got a, a young son who I love dearly. He's my like my nephew. 
He is the star college. Uh, he's a star uh, quarterback on the football team. He's a straight A student. He gets stopped in Atlanta all the time by cops only because he's black. So don't get me wrong, Reverend. I actually sympathize to a certain extent. But don't you think it's odd that in almost all of these cases, the guys that were treated rudely by the cops, right or wrong, had records, were bad guys, almost every one of them. Well, no, 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 no. How can you present an A student as an example? Well, he wasn't killed, he, but he wasn't and me, killed. And, and, and me included, right? Because right? I've gotten stopped. No, no, but he, he wasn't uh, killed. I'm talking, about the, I'm talking about the, 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 the guys that were let killed. Me say this, let me yeah. say this about our, our police officers, all right? I had the wonderful opportunity under uh, Commissioner Howard Safer to work with our police officers to develop sensitivity to the differences within our culture between people. And let me tell you something. At that time, Time. The police uh, department was close to 40,000 police officers, one of the largest in the country. All right. The majority of the issues Sid, were not racial. They were the issues of police officers having to see the best of society of humanity and the worst of humanity and go home with that and not let it interfere with their personal lives. That was the, the, the biggest issue. So I will speak to that and say that I support our police officers because I understand and feel the tension that they experience to do their job. But the media is always going to highlight an True. incident like the George Floyd in order to evoke that emotion, and it's necessary for change. That's just the history that we've seen. Well, if, if in fact change is needed, uh, if change is, and I do think, again, that we're, we're far from perfect, but it goes from where, yes, it's necessary for change to the other extreme, which is it just divides this nation even more, and then you take people who start to really believe there's a much bigger problem than there really is, and that's where I've got an issue. Well, I think we're we're experiencing that type of uh, interpretation of facts. You know, I was listening earlier to, to your program, and, you know, someone said the facts are the facts. But the facts have not been the problem for us in this climate. It's been the interpretation of the facts that have been the problem. That's fair. And we've got all of these different interpretations at odds with each other supporting our position. So it's no longer let's have a civil discourse. Let me understand where you're coming from. You understand where I'm coming from. No, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. And I think that is not going to help move things forward. Well, there I agree, 1,000%. And this is what Dr. King represented. Yeah. Civil discourse, having a conversation, let's look at the issues and let's do what's necessary. But you know good and well, all right, the greatest resistance to change is when it costs money. And when we get into the pocketbooks, that's when people begin to push back. It's wonderful and we have a kumbaya moment, but when it's going to hit us in a place that we have to sacrifice as a society in order to see those changes take place, that's when we get pushed back. What a great conversation. In the next 60 seconds, we have to break here, A.R. Bernard, and you are terrific. In your mind, what was the biggest difference between MLK and Malcolm X? I think Malcolm and Dr. King weren't at odds with each other. They just had tactical differences, but the same goal. You know, they wanted to see, they both wanted to see the barriers to equity removed when it came to people of color and the poor in our nation. But they just had different routes to get there. I think that Malcolm went through an evolutionary process, and so did Dr. King go through an evolutionary process as he sought to fight for the rights of the disenfranchised and the marginalized in our nation. And we need people who specialize in fighting for those rights. Now you know why that's a great show every Sunday morning. If you didn't know before, which most of our listeners know, now you know why that is the voice of the Reverend A.R. <laughs> Bernard. Hey, you were terrific. And I know we had a little pushback there, but uh, that's no, exactly that's what, that's what it's all about, right? That's exactly what it's about. The struggle for equity, 
And if there's no resistance, then there's no struggle, right? Agreed. Hey, you were terrific today. Enjoy the day. Thank you for coming on. Please come back more. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You were great. Thank Take you, care, my pal. friend. All God right. Bless. The Reverend A.R. Bernard. Check him out every Sunday morning with the Rabbi Joe Potashnik, right before John Katz and Matidis. And that was, a, uh, that was a good discussion, right? Don't you think? I thought it was electric. Electric? Yep. Hey, now. It exuded electricity. <laughs> you are. You are too much. on your stormy, rainy Monday morning here in New York City. I'll be here till 9 of that uh, horrible funeral today. I'll get uh, back to that later. This is a time of day and this uh, day of the week that we put aside for the great Rich Lowry. Of course, National Review, Political, NBC, all of it. Bernie is out. He'll be back tomorrow. But you got me. Good morning, Rich. How are you, buddy? Hey, good. Not bad. Hey, who doesn't love a, a cold, rainy Monday morning? Uh, me? <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you. Hey, hey, by the way, the um, the Sean Farish stuff, you know, I met this guy. There's a place called the America First Warehouse in Ronkonkoma, New York, and I was there for a Lee Zeldin rally a couple of months ago, and I met Sean. His uh, Donald Trump stuff, I know you sent me that text a couple of days ago. How amazing is his Donald Trump? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, professional worthy. He should go into business doing that at events. It's, <laughs> he it's should. amazing. He's so good. Hey, talking about Trump, of course, the question is, will he take on Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama in 2024? Things are getting really bad, Rich, for Joe Biden. Let's play this. This is our mutual friend, dear friend, Chuck Todd. You've been on his show many, many times. He and I have been dear friends for the better part of 15 years. This is Chuck Todd on Meet the Press, the last place you think you'd hear this, all over Joe Biden. Every new administration enters office with an agenda of optimism. For President Biden, the plan was that COVID would be defeated, the economy would fully recover, and he would be able to deliver a return to normalcy. But plans have a way of going sideways. Plans have a way of going sideways. That is a nice way of saying, man, he's really effed up, huh, Rich? <laughs> yeah, th- this is the week when everyone in the quote-unquote mainstream acknowledged what we've seen and known for a very long time. This is a failing presidency and a president who does not look like he's up for the job. So that finally became undeniable over the, the last week with that speech, which was an utter debacle down in Atlanta, Georgia, and the White House itself now is trying to backtrack from, and, and you've had some Democrats, left-wing Democrats, e- even saying it went too far, then the Supreme Court slapping down the OSHA vaccine mandate, and the, the continued high inflation numbers. So it, it's just a, it's a president who has, like, he's like the moth to the flame with defeat. You know, it, 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 there's no way this 
these election bills are going to go anywhere, but he insisted on making a big deal of them anyway when there's this bipartisan achievable reform that he could get in front of on the electoral count out in Congress. So, so he, he goes for the thing that's going to go down in an embarrassing way. Yeah. It's, it's totally bizarre. <laughs> it is. And this is not a football game, right? Like we, we tend to predict who's going to win in 2022, the House of Congress. will go back to Republicans. 2024. This is not Green Bay taking on San Francisco. All lives are at stake here, right? Inflation ruining our economy. Our kids' mental health with the COVID nonsense. Yep. Kids dying in Afghanistan. This is really serious stuff. And my question is, if he makes it, if he makes it, there's another like three years to go. Do we have three years in this country before it all falls apart? Yeah, I know. It's just it's it's just hard to imagine. So Biden, obviously, he's kind of reduced now. And what is he going to be two years from now? Right. Two years from now, right. how you know how is he going to just how is he going to do the job? He doesn't seem to have the energy for it. Now, and then on top of this, the thing I didn't mention is it looks as though I, I, I'm still a little doubtful if he'll actually go in with a full-scale invasion, but it looks as though Putin is going to invade Ukraine. Right. So after you know, four years, five years of hearing that Trump was an agent of Putin, Putin didn't dare do this on Trump's watch, and it looks like he's going to do it on, on Biden's in part, perhaps, because he's taken the measure of the man and the state of the country at the moment. And the worst part here, too, is if it gets if it can get any worse, you just mentioned Russia, Ukraine. I just mentioned all the issues going on in the country, the border, blah, 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 is I guess there was a, a population of people who thought, OK, if things go really bad for Biden, here comes Kamala Harris. She's proven to be useless. And after her, you've got Nancy Pelosi. I mean, yeah. so if Biden really can't do this, there's like no hope. I mean, forget about Trump. I hate Trump. He tweets. Well, what are we looking at here? This is a disaster. It, it's it's not it's not good for the country that's for sure and it's terrible for the Democratic Party and you know people are now saying he needs a reset and a, a pivot but I think that Atlanta speech it kind of makes that that's going to leave a mark and whatever Biden does if he does anything to try to appear more moderate or sound more moderate that that speech is going to haunt him I mean it, just calling opponents uh, good faith opponents of these bills the equivalent of Bull Connor or Jefferson Davis I mean get out of here and it just showed how. Uh, serious that Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin took it. That Kristen Cinema yeah. immediately goes to the Senate floor and says, "Nope, yep. no way. I, I've told you, I'm not ending the filibuster, and I'm still there. I'm not ending the filibuster." And that's the, that's the other thing. It's just they, they've Manchin and Cinema. They've been as clear at, at, as day on all this stuff, and they've tried to ignore them or pretend they're going to change their mind, and they just haven't. So it's just political incompetence on top of everything else. Can you give me something practical? You just said, look. Maybe there's an opportunity for him to sound more moderate, to kind of pivot. Can you give me something practical that he can actually do where you would say, okay, it's been uh, 10 months of a complete disaster, whatever it is, a year, but this, this, is, this is okay. Can you give me something practical? Yeah, I would do a couple things. One, I would ditch these voting bills, and then I, I would put myself in the middle of these bipartisan negotiations over reforming the so-called Electoral Count Act. And that's not going to move the needle, right? And does, does anyone really care out there at the end of the day about the Electoral Count Act? But it is a, a bipartisan consensus measure, and you can have a signing ceremony with maybe a couple of Republicans standing behind you at the White House and show you're getting something done, hmm. which is better than not getting anything done. And then I would focus on inflation every day. Even if even there's nothing I could really practically do about it, I would show people that I cared about it. 
I would, you know, mobilize the National Guard to do chicken deliveries at certain grocery stores just, just to create some images of, of, of movement and, you know, passionate concern about this issue. So, I mean, that's the other problem he has is he, he is he, he's focused on things people don't care about this, don't care about. There's a devastating CBS poll yesterday showing exactly this. It's an inflation moment in the country. That's what's what's driving most of the sentiment about Biden, about the economy, about the direction of the country. And people feel as though he's not focused on it because he's not. He's not. In fact, some of these uh, liberal channels, they uh, and again, I just played Chuck Todd. I've got Erin Burnett at CNN. She killed Biden this weekend, too, which is really uh, it's arousing. I got to be honest. But uh, they you, uh, don't, you don't even need a pill to, to do uh, it. Uh, right. I don't, <laughs> right. But if you take the blue chew as well, which then you're really in good shape. But uh, <laughs> but some of these liberal channels, they, they try to give him credit for something and they give him. A little bit of credit for the way he's handled the COVID. I think that's been a complete disaster. No? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, it's not his fault that a new variant came here, but but the de- variant's been um, devastating to to people who wanted to get just back to normal lives. And then there's a lack of preparation on rapid testing and all the rest of it. Now I think there's signs. Oh, this is the third thing he could do. Said fire Fauci. Say you know. Oh, what? that'd be great. Yep. Everyone's tired of him. Yep. He doesn't. Half of the country hates him. He doesn't have credibility anymore. Plus, I'm moving to a different approach where we we clearly have to live with this virus, and we're not going to get to zero COVID ever. So let's stop pretending that we we will. That could make a difference as well. But I mean, all these things I'm talking about would just move the needle slightly. Yeah, it wouldn't help. Uh, <laughs> but no, maybe just a little. And those are all three great ideas. I love the fire Fauci one. Did you like the uh, the football yesterday? Did you have a chance to watch a lot of that? You know, it's it was a little disappointing because we had a bunch of blowouts. And then, then we had two games that got close at the end and sort of desperate, forlorn um, attempts to, to come back. The yeah. Raiders and the Cowboys didn't quite work out. But w- what did you think of the, the running play, the Cowboys running out that game on that? running play you know i didn't see it so uh, i can't tell you that i was actually uh doing something with the family for that later i got back in time for pittsburgh kansas city what's and so with, what's wrong with you Sid? i know i know <laughs> i i i, I guess your I, priorities I, I think i figured out six years later i'm at wabc and not wfan <laughs> but no but I, I so what was the play exactly tell me so about they, that so they got it like they got like 20 seconds left they need they need a touchdown they, they score a touchdown they're going to win they're at like on the 40 and it was one of those classics where, where they've picked up a lot of yarders because they're giving them passes right. on the sidelines. Right. They have no timeouts. And then they, they run a sneak up the middle, which what? gets like 20 yards because like, no one's expecting you to do that. And he tries to take the knee and, and spike it, and he just he, he's a, a second too late. Oh, my runs God. Out. What do I think of that? I think Mike McCarthy should be fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you thinking? Of course the time is going to run out. That's idiotic. Yeah, but the, the Chiefs look. Tough. I'm a Titans fan, but I, I, I uh, Kansas City's I better. Not, They're better. I don't relish uh, playing the Chiefs so if, yeah. if we get that far. I mean, the, the Bengals are serious too. Yeah, they're good, but this uh, this has chalk written all over it. Kansas City, Green mm-hmm. Bay written all over it. But who knows? That's the beauty of the postseason. Uh, that's the beauty of you. You were brilliant again today. Love having you on Mondays. Thank you, Rich Lowry. Thanks, Enjoy it. a great all week. The best. You too. You soon. You're the best. Thank you, Rich Lowry, National Review, Political, and NBC. And just like that. With all the complaining I did this morning, getting rained on, I have this uh, very emotional funeral to go to today coming up in an hour. All the complaining I did just like that, we're halfway through. How about that? About Eight it. o'clock hour two has uh, Lydia reports and uh, Governor David Patterson, and then Curtis Lee was going to take over. And that's always fun. So stick around. My last hour is coming up right after this. Let freedom ring.
one stone mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty. You too, Unforgettable Fire, one of the great albums ever. This is the title track of that album. Pride was on that album, Bad, so many great songs, 806 on Monday morning. I tell you, it's been a great two hours. Curtis Sleeva was terrific in the 6 o'clock hour. 7 o'clock hour, John Katz and Matides, the Reverend A.R. Bernard. That was quite a discussion. Mike Garcia loved that one. And then, uh, of course, a great job there by Rich Lowry. This hour, Lydia's coming up next. Lydia Serrani, Lydia reports. And then David Patterson. And uh, me and Curtis will talk to Patterson together. Then I'm leaving. I know you guys have heard this story already, but uh, had some friends, really family. My next door neighbors, really family. Not, friends is, is not uh, near and dear enough. Forty six years I've known these people, and um, and Gloria and Uncle Lewis and Joseph Iavine, who uh, has been my best friend forever. Everybody knows Joseph. If you know Sid, you know Joseph, including Bernie, and his. Uh, he's got three sisters and Danielle. The oldest sister was tragically killed in a car crash last Saturday night in Florida, along with her husband, Al. Al was uh, 57, great-looking guy, brilliant, uh, made a great living. Not that that matters, but it is part of the story. Uh, Danielle, 53, beautiful, made a great living. What a, what a life she went on to have. From Quentin Road in Brooklyn to University of Pennsylvania to seven-figure bonuses come Christmas as a big-time investment banker. And then their beautiful family and one of their sons, Antonio, just 16, terrific gymnast and a lovely young man. He was killed, too. So all three perished in this horrific accident last Saturday. I've been talking about it for a couple of days. I try not to talk about it too much. And I only put up one picture, one, on Facebook and Instagram, and I wrote nothing. I just put a heart, uh, the broken heart, of course, the prayer sign, and that was it. Uh, there was a picture that was taken of me, my wife, Danielle, and Danielle and Al at my sister's house over the summer. That's all I put up. Anyway, today's the funeral in Summit, New Jersey, so I have to leave here at 9 o'clock, and it's going to be brutal. Brutal. Uh, you know, it's, again, I've known Danielle for 46 years. I, I knew Al for a long time, too, but I think the fact that their child died, too, he's 16 years old, just uh, just makes it impossible. So, you know, we're dealing with the Bernie stuff. And listen, Bernie's going to be fine. He'll be back at work tomorrow here. He's not even doing it from home. He'll be here tomorrow. That's the good news. And he has gone through a, a very tough period. He has, there's no question. 
and he's proven to be courageous and a warrior and all those words that we waste on NFL players. Bernie is that, going through all these tests and some really scary times. So I'm happy Bernie will be back tomorrow. But, you know, look, Bernie's in his 60s, and uh, he's done very well for himself. He's got a beautiful family, and he'll survive this. Uh, What I'm going through this morning is just absolutely um, impossible. There's no other way to put it. And my fear is, is that my car is going to get there early. I don't know what to say. I know that sounds weird for me because I talk for a living, right? I I can talk to anybody at any time about anything, anything. I don't know what to say. I I spoke to her in Gloria by accident last Sunday because Liz, another one of Joseph's sisters, I called her and she put in Gloria on the phone. And and, and I preface it by saying, I don't know what to say. What do you say? I'm sorry. Really? You know? How you doing today? <laughs> How am I doing today? So I've been nauseous about this for days. I, I had a nice weekend. I did the treadmill class on Saturday. That's become a tradition now for me and Danielle. We get up, have our coffee, make our way to Lexington and 85th and do this high-impact treadmill class, both in terrific shape. And that's fun. And I uh, went out for a nice dinner on Saturday night. We happened to like the Mermaid Inn on the Upper West Side. They make a real nice uh, hot toddy. Uh, watched a very good movie. We had a nice weekend, but yesterday I woke up and I was just off. And she's like, what's up? I go, uh, tomorrow. Just, I can't, I can't, I can't comprehend, figure out how these types of things happen, you know. And and I wasn't in a bad mood. I wasn't nasty, but I was, I was sullen. And I was definitely uh, sad for most of the day. I didn't care about the football games. I went to the gym for like an hour. I had a nice uh, tricep workout and some some biceps too. But otherwise, I pretty much kept to myself. You know, Gabe a little bit, Ava a little bit, and Danielle and I did watch TV. But it just, um, the impact came yesterday. And that brings me to where we are this morning. So I have to leave in 49 minutes. And the trip out there is going to be nauseating. And the trip home is going to be worse. But it's not about me. Uh, when I say it's going to be worse, I can't imagine what Aunt Gloria, Uncle Lewis. Uh, Lizzie and Nicole and Joseph, brother and two sisters, are going through. And Roberto, who was the only surviving member of the uh, four-person family. Roberto's 18. He's on his way to college. And uh, and Gloria told me, you know, he, he was going through all the college he wants to go to with his mom, with Danielle, who has since passed. And he was really excited. I guess he got into one of the schools that um, his mother wanted him to go to. And he said to Glory, he said, uh, well, I can't celebrate with mommy. So <laughs> when you start to figure out what's important in life and what's not, you know, the things that tend to bother us on a daily basis, man, I let a lot of things bother me. I do. I'm one of those guys, you know. I get upset about something on Facebook. I get upset about something on Instagram. I get upset uh, when somebody says something. It's such nonsense. It's nonsense. We're going to bury three beautiful young people today. Three. Three. And how bad is it going to go to the funeral when one person dies? Three. So I would uh, ask all of you out there today to say a prayer for the Prieto and Iovine families. And... Hope that uh, God and and, uh, love and all that stuff will help them get through this unbelievably tragic event. 
Now, on one hand, that's part of my morning. The other is we're celebrating, well, you talk about two sides of the spectrum, we're celebrating MLK Day today here at the station for a man that was very, very important and much like my three friends died in very tragic fashion. You know, they were killed in a car crash and he was shot to death, murdered, for no other reason than being a good man. So there are some similarities in that respect. Of course, he wasn't 16. He wasn't related to me. But he was still a great man, and he deserves all the love and respect that we still give him even now. He was killed in 1968. So we're going on. How many years is that, Justin? You're very good at math. Uh, 78, 88, 98, 2008. I don't know, uh, 50 years? A little over 50 years. Not even close. I mean, go with 54. Try that. 54. Yeah. I said a little over 50. I know. You impressed with uh, Justin's math there? I showed my work. I, I, I'm sorry, Justin. I think you're the greatest. But when he started counting 70, I'm like, yeah. he's good math. <laughs> I was only kidding, of course. When he, when, after doing eight minutes on that, we need a little bit of uh, comedic relief. So Justin provided that. He didn't know he was going to do that, but that's the beauty of Justin Ellick. Right. Um, no, it's been a long time, but he um, he deserves it. Let's go back uh, to that fateful day. We played this earlier in 1968. The actual news report that in Memphis, Tennessee, Martin Luther King Jr. has just been murdered. Good evening. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 39 years old and a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and the leader of the nonviolent civil rights movement in the United States was assassinated in Memphis tonight. A sniper's bullet cut down Dr. King as he stood on a hotel balcony in Memphis. Within an hour, Dr. King was dead. That happened at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The nation was shocked. President Johnson expressed horror and then postponed his trip to Hawaii until tomorrow. We're going to go to Memphis now. The Lorraine Motel is a favorite place for Negro leaders to stay while in Memphis. It's a very nice, new, modern motel. He was on the second floor balcony, out, standing exactly where these two officers are, talking with some of his aides at the time of the shooting. The uh, scene immediately became confused. Officers ran forward and, and uh, attempted to secure the area. The shot apparently came from an apartment building directly across the street. Well, there you have it. I just got a very nice text message from Bo Deedle. Bo, I love you. Bo will be on the show tomorrow. He said, uh, Sid, talk about the great times you had together with your dear friends. And uh, we had many great times, you know. Uh, really, most of the great times I had was with Danielle's brother, Joseph. He was and still is my best friend more than Danielle. Danielle really hung out with Lizzie, my sister, who's in from Florida for this. But, uh, I mean, we had so many great parties. And, you know, back then it was, uh, it was mayhem, you know. I mean, the Iovines especially knew how to throw a party. Very good-looking family. Very, the Corsaros, his uh, cousin Anthony, great-looking guy. Billy, great-looking guy. The Taminias, very good-looking family. They loved to party. They all danced. All of them guys could all dance. And um, they just tore the damn place up, you know. And then when you combine that with the Rosenbergs, a lot of drinking, too. A lot of drinking. It was was a lot of years of uh, a lot of good times. A lot of good times. We did have the Reverend on earlier today, and it got a little contentious between me and the Reverend because I brought up Colin Kaepernick and some of the stuff going on today inside the black community that I believe does further divide race, doesn't help. He didn't necessarily agree. It became a little contentious, but nevertheless, I thought a good talk anyway. Here's Tony in Jersey City on line four about that phone call. Good morning, Tony. Uh, good morning, Sid. Just want to let you know my prayers are going out to those two families. Thank you. And especially that, that young man that is the survivor. Yeah, thank uh, you. Prayers out to him, you know, what he's going through. Thank you. And I just want to let you know that uh, prayers are going out to you also and the Sid's recovery. I love you guys, man. Thank I you. listen to you every morning. Thank you, Tony. Great, great, great programming. 
Thank you. Uh, you're welcome, sir. You're welcome. You wanted to say uh, something, too, you. about uh, the phone call with A. R. Bernard? Yes, uh, with the Reverend. Uh, you know, he made some good points, and I know you came back on him on, on a couple of things. The one thing I was hoping you would come back on was his use of the word, and he seemed to want to say it over and over. He said it at least three or four times. He used the word equity. The Martin yes. Luther King was for equity. Yes. Yes. He never was. He was for equality. True. And I, you know, I, I, you're 100% right, Tony. I did not correct him. I thought the same thing you did, uh, but I, a couple of times I did go back and forth. But you're 100% right. It was equality, not equity. And he did use that word three or four times. Very observant, Tony, on your part. And thank you for the, for the wishes. Joe was in Brooklyn on line one. Brooklyn. Good morning, Joe. Hey, good morning. It's Jim from Brooklyn. Oh, Jim, what's up, pal? I to let you know. So, yeah. Um, first of all, family prayers for the Prieto family and for Bernie. Thank you. I, You know, it, it's like a punch in the stomach. There isn't much you can say. Okay, the night Martin Luther King was killed, I was at Madison Square Garden attending a Ranger hockey game. Wow. I kept, The garden had just opened. It opened in March, my first time at the new garden. And that day is special to me because I got my draft notice. April 23rd, I'm going in the Army. And you went to Vietnam. And by the way, it's worth, I must point this out, Jim did uh, fight in Vietnam for our country. You're a hero, and uh, thank you for your service. You know what? I, I, I got drafted, and I went, and I did my time, and God was very, very good to me. He let me come home. So many of my brothers did not. But I came out of Madison Square Garden that night with a date. And here I am. The subways are not running. Everything is shut down. So I made my way up to the police precinct. I called my father, who was a patent tank commander. Him and my Uncle Joe, who was a third-day Iwo Jima Marine, they came from Greenpoint, Brooklyn, to Madison Square Garden to get us. And by that time, I had six people into a 1955 Chevy to get us home. Wow. The city was Nuts. Yeah, that does sound uh, like a very chaotic uh, night, Jim. Thank you for the phone call and the kind words and your service. That sounds like a very chaotic night, reminiscent a little bit of some of the 9-11 stories. Everything was shut down. We couldn't get here. We couldn't get there. One more quick one, about 40 seconds to go. Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen, online five. Good morning, Charlie. Thank you very much, Sister, for taking call. I was about to make the exact same point Tony did. I was listening to Reverend A.R. Bernard, and that really stuck in my craw. Yeah. Martin Luther King fought for freedom and equality. And uh, Reverend A.R. Bernard, and he said three or four times, he said deliberate, deliberately and purposely. He did. He purposely said the word equity. Yep. And equity is a Marxist communist term. It doesn't mean equality at all. It's a totally different meaning. Uh, you're 100% right. And, um, again, I went back and forth with the guy uh, a lot during that conversation. I didn't want to turn it into a fight. I love the guy. He's a spiritual guy. He's a nice guy. He's a good man. And I could have jumped all over him for that because he did say it two or three times. I didn't, but I certainly agree with you guys. It was all about equality and not equity. Coming up at 840, the former governor, David Patterson. But coming up next, she does a great job every day sitting alongside John Katsimatidis at 5 o'clock. And, of course, every weekday morning at 825 right here with me and Bernard. Lydia Serrani, Lydia Reports, is next. This is Lydia Reports on 77 WABC. Here's Lydia Serrani. I wanted to get more in-depth on that homeless person who shoved the woman in front of the train. I know you discussed it with Curtis, but we do have some more No, 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 no. That, 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 that didn't happen. That was your perception. That was, that was just a perception. That wasn't reality, oh. according to Eric Adams. That's exactly right. Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams says that the subways are safe and that it's just our perception that they're not safe. 
the woman, she was 40 years old, that was killed, Michelle Alyssa Go. She was a very accomplished woman, lived on the Upper West Side when this maniac, uh, Simon Marshall, just shoved her right in front of the train. And he perfectly timed it as the train was coming. He shoved her in front of the train. He got in a, into another woman's face who walked away, and then he, without Michelle knowing anything that happened to her, he perfectly timed it. So he's not as crazy as people think think he might be. But, you know, as he was being led out of the police uh, precinct after his arrest, take a listen to hear what he actually said to people, the photographers that were there to capture him doing the perp walk. So he says, I'm God. Jeez. That's why when he was asked by a reporter why he did it. And then he also said, I'm God, you stole my effing planet. I mean, the guy and he has a, obviously he has a history of issues. And while this was going on a couple of hours later, police were invest, uh, arresting a bunch of people that were at the Olive Garden doing a vaccine, you know, mandate protest. So, like, the police's attention is completely diverted to, like, nonsensical issues like people not having vaccine cards when they're going into restaurants. Meanwhile, you got this homeless guy harassing people, and then it finally it culminated in pushing this this young woman in front mm. of the train. Mm. And then here's a, a witness. She saw the whole thing unfold, and she's still like in shock. You can even hear it in her voice. She was talking to CBS too. Listen, I couldn't believe what was happening. As I look to the left, I see this man start charging towards the tracks, like with his hand in front of him. Last seconds, as the train passed. So impact and right, you went in front of it, like, and then you saw her disappear from the tracks. And then we all kind of, everybody started in shock and everybody started running up. I feel sad for her, you know, her family. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can say. It's just, uh, it happens all the time. It happens way too often. And uh, for a guy that was going to come in and restore law and order and take these types of things seriously, for him to actually say that it's just perception is is uh, that's what's got me more angry and look this guy's a crazy guy and it's a horrible crime there's no doubt about it but you expect uh, the rational people the sane people the leaders to come out with something smart and that wasn't smart and if this guy's going to save us from bill de blasio he's off to a not so good start yeah Uh, let's refresh everybody's memory this is what mayor eric adams said uh shortly after the woman was shoved in front of the train we have a safe subway system. No, we don't, idiot. police officers, they have done their job. What we must do is remove the perception oh. of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Oh, I see. The, the perception of fear, right? Every they day. Aggravate it. It's they every day. It's every day. And, I, and I'm on that 103rd Street station, 296th Street, 273rd Street, on the Upper West Side, where this young lady was from, and every day there's some type of stoppage, some type of police activity, some crazy person running up and down, yelling and screaming. At the very least, if not killing somebody, nobody dies every day. I agree with that. But they're, they're, they're feeling up women on the train. They're yelling and screaming. They're scaring little kids. That's not perception. That's reality. The perception, Eric, is, is that you're the mayor. That's the perception. <laughs> I'm not sure that's reality just yet. Well, um, I, I've been predicting this. We're going to have a Bernie Getz part two where people are going to start taking matters into their own hands. And the next time a homeless guy tries to push somebody on the tracks, they're going to push him on the tracks right before the train comes. Or they're going to pull out a gun or they're going to pull out a knife because people don't feel safe. They feel like they do have to protect themselves. And this is getting out of control. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, really, it's really sad because this, this beautiful woman should not have died. 
she should not have no, died. No. And you know, this is this could have been this could have been me. This and then I saw in Brooklyn on Grand Street another guy was stabbed by a homeless person. Yes, this was also over the weekend. I mean, these are like this is a big incident that we're hearing about. But there's incidents like you just said every single day, every day. In all the boroughs, and especially Brooklyn, where, let me remind people, before Eric Adams won the race and beat Curtis Sliwa, he served for many years as the Brooklyn Borough President, and Brooklyn was a mess. It was a mess. Let me bring you back to the riots, of course, during the summer of 2020, uh, people getting shot in the street. Brooklyn was a mess, and somehow this guy still convinced people he's the right choice for mayor. Is a mess. You said was, is a mess. It's yeah. still a mess. No, it's it still is a mess, right? But he was in charge of it for for the longest oh, time, and oh. and I'm not sure why uh, when you can't run a borough, why people thought that he'd be able to run this city. I, I don't know, but the thing is, uh, people. Well, he's better than De Blasio. What does that mean? I'm sick of hearing that. So what? Anybody's better than De Blasio. What does that mean? Right. I know. It's it's uh he's I think he's a little bit too enamored with the idea of being a star. Right. You know the whole SNL skit. Um, going out to the restaurants and all this. Yeah, stuff. he's and, dancing with you know, Rosanna Scotto at Fresco, and yeah. he's you know he's got yeah. his nice suits on. He's at the Hamptons. He's at every big party, and all that is great. Don't get me wrong; I do a lot of that stuff too. But um, he's the damn mayor, and this city is loaded with issues. And when you get a murder on the subway, the last thing you the last thing you want to do, the last thing is not get angry. He should have been pissed. Right. He should have been pissed, and the first thing he should do, you know, John Katzmatidis said this. He said, as a show of faith to show New Yorkers that we want to clean up New York City, he suggested it. He said he should clean clean up uh, Penn Station. Penn Station is, is a mess. Oh, it's please. disgusting. Thank God we're now on the east side. It's horrendous. You get yep. people shooting up. They're performing tricks. you got the hookers, the pimps, the drugs. I you mean, know. it is horrendous. And he said, John was like, listen, Mayor Eric Adams, if you wanted to really show – New Yorkers that he means business that because that's why he was that's why he was elected right because yeah. they said this is a former cop he was on the job for 22 years he's going to be the one to clean clean up this city and he said let's let's let him use Penn Station as an example clean it all up and so let's wait and see I mean that's where he could start he could start at Penn Station and they and then go through all of the subway system yep. because uh, that's what we need because you're not going to get New York back if people are too afraid to even ride the rail. Oh, you're 100% right. No doubt. That's a very, very good call on your part. Now, we are celebrating MLK Day today. John Katzmatidis was on, was on with me at uh, 7 a.m. We've had great guests since. Who's on the big show coming up later on this afternoon? We'll have Bill O'Reilly. I know he's not black, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we're going to have Bill O'Reilly. I'm not really sure. We, we always have a, a lot of guests. So I never really know, but it's kind of like an orchestra. It ends up sounding beautifully in the end. But I can promise you one thing, that all the major topics and everything you need to know will be jam-packed in that one single hour. So John Katsimatidis, 5 o'clock, listen in. Thank you, Lydia. As always, uh, you're great. Great on this show, great on that show. You can follow Lydia on Instagram, at Lydia News 1, on Twitter, at Lydia News. i got a question for you, Christina. Did... uh our mutual friend, Carolina Russo, did, did her father just die? Is that recent? Yes. Uh, I think it was about a two weeks ago, maybe oh a week or two God. ago. Yes. She put something on her story yesterday about uh, making meatballs. She misses her father. And I said, I miss my father, too. He's been gone for two years. I thought her father died a while ago. No. It's only been two weeks. Yeah, it was about a week or two ago. Uh, okay. Well, send our condolences I to uh, Caroline. That's terrible. Didn't know that.
Monday morning. MLK Day here on the Bernie and Sid in the Morning Show. Bernie will be back tomorrow in studio. That's the good news there. And uh, I'm going to bolt after this conversation with Governor Patterson and Curtis Sliwa, who will join me during this conversation. We'll take you the rest of the morning. The whole crew was great again today. Justin Alec, thank you so much. It wasn't a great morning for me, but um, you were terrific. And uh, Pastina, Christina, you're lovely. And uh, Luke Lagrano and Richie on the call screen and Mike Garcia and Frankie Diaz with an E and Deb Valentine, all of you. I love you all. So Governor David Patterson is here to celebrate MLK Day. Uh, we love this guy. Let me tell you something. Forget about me. Curtis Sliwa and uh, Patterson have something, well, someone in common. <laughs> and he just spent the break saying such nice things about Governor Patterson, who's already a Bernie and Sid fave. So between the two of us, Dave, you're in great shape with me and Curtis because we both seem to like you very, very much. Well, thank you, Sid. The feeling is mutual. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, Sid, he used to be my radio partner in the afternoons uh, in the plate class window of the Hotel Pennsylvania. That's right. When we were at AM 970, The Answer. That's right. And how was that for you? Well, he says nice things about you. And don't be afraid to tell us the truth, Governor Patterson. Well, what was funny is uh, we were teamed together. Uh, Curtis's uh, theory was that he was the one that really did all the work, you know, like <laughs> Lennon and McCartney. Right. You know, Lennon really wrote all the songs, but they, were, but they had an agreement that it was Lennon and McCartney. <laughs> right. And Curtis also believed that they sent a limousine for me every day to take me home. That's so not true. One night, yeah. no, well, one night this company wanted to meet with me, and uh, they said, you know, we're going to be so-and-so place. And they said, do you need help getting over there? I said, no, I can get over there. Then I thought about it, and I said, yeah. And so they said, okay, we'll send you a limousine. So I said, Curtis, i got to leave a little earlier. So I brought a transistor radio, and I'm listening to it as I go out. And when Curtis sees me get at the limousine, he goes off. And he actually came outside and filmed the car driving away and put it on social media. That is so Curtis. That is such well, a Curtis story. He became a limousine liberal. He did it once. One time. Liberal, yeah. It right. doesn't matter. He's a limousine liberal. Uh, that's it, Dave. One time you're done, I guess. Well, listen, I guess uh, it's obligatory. This is the question uh, we're supposed to ask every guest. I did it with Dr. A. R. Bernard. I did it with John Katsimatidis. And I'll do it with you. MLK Day, what does that mean for you? Well, what MLK Day means for me is that uh, we recognized uh, some of the great maladies in this country, and we recognized the person who was probably most responsible for getting rid of them. Because without Dr. King's marches, we wouldn't have had a Federal Civil Rights Act in 1964 and the Voting Rights Act in 65 and the Fair Housing Act in 68. But beyond uh, what King was able to accomplish, What the day means to me is also what King wanted to accomplish and didn't have time, which was that he felt that in this country that African-Americans and whites, who generally, many of them, both lived in poverty, but they had never coalesced to formulate a movement to try to quell the poverty that existed. And I think it's important to point that out today because a lot of activists seem to have forgotten that Dr. King's entire theory was for the races to work together. And remember that 65% of the whites who marched with Dr. King were Jewish. So, um, you know, at the time, uh, it was understood, I think, better than it is today. 
Well, in fact, uh, Governor David Patterson, let me take you back to your roots, Harlem, USA. And it has to do with you, Sid, too, because your peeps have already always been in retail, retail, retail. There was this huge department store called Bloomstein's, right on 125th Street. Martin Luther King had just written a book. He was staying at the nearby Teresa Hotel, which was right there. And then he walked over to Bloomstein's. He was doing the book signing. I mean, people around the block, white, black, Jews, Gentiles. There might never have been an April 4th, 1968, where James Earl Ray assassinated him on the balcony of the Rain Hotel. Because as he was signing books, an African-American woman who was emotionally disturbed, we see that that term, EDP, they didn't have it then, they called him deranged. She comes up, she's well-dressed, she's from Queens. She says, Dr. King? He says, yes, uh, uh, can I sign your book? She takes out a letter opener, plunges it into his breast. Within like a, a centimeter of his heart, they rush him to Harlem Hospital, they save his life. He might have been killed right in 1958. That's how wow. close he was at death's door. Wow. That is uh, so true, Curtis. And in uh, 2017, which was the 60th anniversary, if you could call it an anniversary, just maybe this commemoration of that event, we actually marched from Bloomsteins to Harlem Hospital, which was the trip he took that saved his life. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because very few people know that that actually happened. Well, you know why I know, because I always stop at the uh, uh, White Castles that is there in the old Teresa Hotel. <laughs> I get my bag of uh, belly sliders, and I, I remind everybody there because yeah. they're mostly young hipsters, millennials now. They don't know. They, and I say, you know what happened here? Yeah. Martin Luther King was almost killed. And they say, what are you talking about? That only happened, you know, down south. I right, said, listen, no. I'm, I'm surprised you even know who he was. Right. Even even the day that we had the march, <laughs> we were marching past people, and they're like, where are you all going? Yeah. Like, what are you yeah. all doing? Yeah. I actually work in the Teresa Hotel. I teach at Toro College these days. Now, one other question. For all the whites that were threatening to kill him, uh, calling him an ape, uh, you know, uh, uh, the N-bomb, Right there in Harlem, the iconic elected official, Adam Clayton Powell, flees to Bimini and has a press conference every day and is referring to this iconic civil rights leader as Martin Luther Kuhn. How did people react to that? I mean, this was a a high level, the highest ever elected black official calling this great civil rights leader Martin Luther Kuhn. Who, who, Who did this? Adam Clayton Powell from Bimini. Yeah, you know, there was somewhat of a struggle between the elected community and the faith-based community in those days. And I don't think it happened often, but when Powell did that, that did a real disservice to everything we were trying to accomplish. And it was cruel and mean. And and also, it um, gave, uh, you know, posture to those who were antagonistic to King's movement to call him by the same names. Uh, that's another issue that you yeah. point out that, that not too many people know. Governor David Patterson here with uh, Sid and Curtis. Bernie back tomorrow. And, uh, of course, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day here today. Let's fast forward to where we are today. I just had a, a pretty contentious discussion about an hour ago with uh, Reverend A.R. Bernard, who I love dearly. He's a great man, minister, a lovely guy, religious guy. 
But we had some disagreements. Uh, I feel people like Colin Kaepernick do nothing but further divide us. I'm not saying, I'm not saying there isn't an issue. I'm not saying that African-American people are treated the same way that whites are because they're not. I'm not stupid enough to say that. But I do think that some of these folks take this a bit too far and make a bad situation even worse. What are your thoughts there, David? Well, I think some of the people who've gotten involved have no history of involvement before. In other words, they have not worked in community-based organizations. They don't go to small meetings who are trying to fight to get more contracts for uh, black and Hispanic and women-owned businesses. And uh, because of the kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the information system that we live in now with social media and that kind of thing, almost anybody can say something that's totally outrageous and be listened to. Fortunately, people like uh, A.R. Bernard are listened to all the time because their comments come from research their thoughts come from historic experiences in the movement. And uh, so I don't know how you all got off to the wrong foot, but I, but I do think that uh, sometimes the people who get the most attention probably know the least about the, the history and the issue. You know, Governor David Patterson, a lot of people don't realize that Dr. King spent most of his time in the South. But then he felt, hey, I can't just focus on the South. There's racism uh, up north. So he went to Chicago, where my family was originally from, where there were more blacks in Chicago than in all of Mississippi, where many of them had been uh, brought up yeah, in order to work in the meat. The worst violence and the greatest fear he had was in that march, Curtis. Yeah, well, uh, my cousins were in that march, and they weren't on his side. Uh, they were there screaming at him, white power, up with the KKK, go home, you apes, waving Confederate flags. They threw rocks on him. And you see Mayor Daley at the time who pretended, you know, he was a moderate yeah. Democrat. Yeah. Yep. He, he didn't want to say no to Martin Luther King. He said, no, no, come up, come up. So he would use all of his patronage and point, uh, appointees. And then you had Elijah Muhammad of the Nation of Islam. His black members were screaming, oh, you're a Jew lover, you're a Jew lover. He went up into Chicago, and one of his observations were pertinent then as they are now. He said he was shocked at how black youngsters could be killed in Chicago, yet there was no citywide expression of horror from either blacks or whites. That was in the 60s. Same thing today. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think the greatest thing about Dr. King is that he held his convictions even when he was actually under attack from both sides. Now, Curtis, you really know these uh, situations better than anyone. So I have one last one. I think you'll know the answer to this. Um, What was Martin Luther King's name on his birth certificate? Wow, that I don't know. You got me uh, the Jeopardy question. I passed. (laughs) His name was Michael Luther King, Jr., and his father loved Martin Luther, reading about him so much that he changed his name wow. to Martin Luther King uh, 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 Jr. Uh, and then he changed uh, his, I mean, to, to Martin Luther King. Right. And then he changed his son's name when he was five years old to Martin Luther King Jr. from Michael Luther King. Wow. And by the way, I'm going to be on today at 12 o'clock with John and. Uh, uh, a couple of Peter King and a couple of other people, because I think that King's birthday is it's not just an ethnic holiday. And it'll be interesting to hear what some other people from different vantage points think about King. And most importantly, 
whether we are or not following King's legacy. So that will be at 12 o'clock. Uh, we're not. You'll actually get a break yeah. for a few hours. We're not. Uh, uh, most of us are. I shouldn't say that. Most of us are. But there's a lot of loud people that are not. But uh, you are, and uh, Curtis is, and I think I am, and this was a great conversation. We look forward to 12 o'clock. The more Governor David Patterson, the better. Same thing with Curtis Lewa. So thank you for hopping on today. You were great as always, David. Enjoy the day. We'll listen to you again very, very soon. Thank you. Take care, Sid, and uh, I'll see you guys in a couple hours. All right. Sounds good. Governor David Patterson, I'm going to skip out of here, uh, hand it over to uh, Curtis, who will do an amazing job the last hour. One more time on the way out as I head towards Summit, New Jersey. If all of you could just uh, make a prayer for the Prieto and Iovine families, the Prieto and Iovine families, uh, that would be very, very nice. And um, for Al, Danielle, and Antonio. So I'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. with Bernard. And uh, Curtis has you the rest of the way. Happy MLK Day, folks. Yours truly, uh, Curtis Lewa, as I'm substituting for Sid Rosenberg, who is away paying his respects uh, to three family friends who perished in a horrible car accident. He'll be back tomorrow and rejoined with Bernard McGurk, uh, who's been recovering uh, from the uh, diagnosis he had a while back of prostate cancer. Having been a prostate cancer survivor, I know exactly what Bernard is going through. And all of us here at WABC have been giving him advice as he navigates his way back to health. Your prayers, your considerations, uh, well appreciated by Bernard and his family. And he'll be back here in studio with Sid tomorrow. Uh, I have on the line, though, somebody I've known for years and years and years, an initial supporter of the Guardian Angels, got us a headquarters at Judson Memorial Church in Greenwich Village when we didn't have uh, a place to meet. It's Norman Siegel, who's established his credentials in the field of civil rights and civil liberties. And as a, I call him a legal beagle, uh, thanks for joining us on MLK Day, Norman. Thank you very much to having me on uh, Dr. King Day, but also this is a pleasant surprise in hearing your voice, Curtis. How are you doing? You doing okay? I've had better days. I've had better days, uh, Norman, but it has nothing to do. Hang in there. Hang in there. There'll be better days for you as well. For sure. Now, let me take you back because you're a Brooklyn boy. I'm a Brooklyn boy. If I remember correctly, you went to New Utrecht High School that had the the worst football field that I ever played on in my life. And you went to Brooklyn College, uh, and then you had a calling, if I remember, at some point then to go down south to participate in the growing civil rights movie, uh, movement. Was I correct? You're correct so far, yes. And, and what was it like at that time? Because it's hard. So many of our listeners now weren't even birthed. Here it is, you're a white guy, Jewish guy from Brooklyn, going into the deep south. It's bad enough blacks are being persecuted against but side by side with blacks, uh, there was no love in many instances for Jews. Well, I never experienced that with members of the civil rights community. Uh, I always tell this little anecdote that people would then say, because they figured out I was from Brooklyn with our accent, and they said, oh, you're, you're a Yankee. And I'd say, no, 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 I'm a Dodger fan. 
I'm not a Yankee fan. <laughs> and that would get me about two seconds of empathy, and then they'd think, oh, you're a wise guy. Uh, so uh, I think that that period was a period of hope, of inspiration. When I was in Atlanta working as a law student for the American Civil Liberties Union in a program called the Law Student Civil Rights Research Council, uh, whenever I would hear that Martin King was speaking at his father's church, Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, known as Daddy King, uh, whatever I was doing, I'd drop what I was doing and go to the church and listen to one of the greatest orators of my time, an inspirational leader, and the whole movement was bringing people together. I mean, Dr. King's famous August 28, 1963 speech, I Have a Dream, he talked about that you judge people by their character, not by the color of their skin, not by their race, their religion, uh, their politics. It was a period where we're trying to bring people together. Um, and uh, today, uh, that's much more difficult because of the polarization. Um, I still think we need to talk to each other, and most important, listen to each other and find common ground. Now, Norman, uh, what a difference uh, the politics in that era. Many who were opposed to civil rights, many who hated Dr. King, who served in the House and served in the U.S. Senate, uh, were Democrats. Uh, and it seemed that whatever support he had was coming from Republicans. How did that all come about? And how, how did how did that change over the years? Well, I think, you know, the Nixon strategy of uh, winning back the South, uh, and uh, it was basically uh, policies that uh, would change people in the southern states uh, from Democrats to Republicans. Uh, I think that uh, the period that we're talking about in the 60s uh, was a period where uh, people in Congress uh, worked across the aisle, to use that cliché, Today, uh, very few people uh, work across the aisle. Uh, President Biden is learning that slowly but surely. And again, I go back to the point that I just made before. Uh, I continue to try not to make judgments about people uh, other than people who engage in illegal activity, uh, and they should be their justice should be given to them. Uh, we shouldn't excuse uh, illegal activity. On the other hand, uh, I think that we need to continue to try to listen to each other and find the common ground. Uh, if we do that, that's a way to get out of the darkness that we're in right now. Now, uh, Norman Siegel, you were down south. Uh, you were idealistic, as you still are. Uh, you were joined by other young men and women from all different parts of the country to aid in the civil rights struggle Dr. King is assassinated by James Earl Ray uh, at the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis, April 4th, 1968. And some cities become consumed in rioting, burning, looting. What did that do to your idealism at that point? Did you, did you seem to think that, oh, my God, all this hard work and it's going up in flames? Yeah, it was a very depressing period. Uh, and as you said before, uh, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I see the glass always half full, not half empty. And that period, you also remember not only Dr. King 
was assassinated, Robert Kennedy, who was one of my heroes, he was assassinated as well. So you had a period in the mid-1968, from April 4th to June of 68, uh, which really changed the history of America. I mean, Dr. King was, uh, the Latin term, sui generis, one of a kind. Uh, He was charismatic. He was really smart. He was an inspirational uh, leader and a great orator. Uh, The words, every word counted for Dr. King. Uh, And once he was gone, uh, no one really had the stature and the leadership qualities uh, to fill his shoes. And we've suffered. Uh, The civil rights movement's never been the same. It changed. Uh, Hopefully, somewhere in the future, uh, before I'm finished doing what I do, we'll be able to come together again and create the kind of community uh, that we want, where people respect each other and treat people like they want to be treated themselves. Uh, That's what Dr. King means to me. Uh, I listened to that speech uh, yesterday a little. Every time I listen to it, I'm inspired. Uh, But I'm realistic now as I get older uh, and realize that uh, not everybody uh, in this country agrees with that kind of outlook. And also, there are people who are really threatened by the immigrant community, by people of color, by Asians, by Jews. Uh, I think that we have to kind of confront that. Dr. King would always say that if you want to overcome the problem, you had to confront the problem. But we have to do it uh, as he was an apostle of nonviolence, because violence doesn't get us anywhere. And when there's violence, uh, I always say to people, uh, I'm not part of that. And I think more people have to say to people who think that violence is the answer that uh, that's the time that you can't make the judgment that that's not acceptable in a democratic society. Final question, uh, Norman Siegel, on this uh, MLK Day. Uh, He's involved in the Deep South with his followers. He pushes north uh, for fair housing and other issues uh, affecting uh, uh, African-Americans. But then he makes a controversial stand that even caused some of his fellow leaders in the civil rights community to take umbrage to the fact that he became a leading voice in getting us out of the Vietnam War and condemning Uh, LBJ and other elected officials that kept feeding our young men into the belly of the beast there who are coming back in body bags. What do you remember the reaction of other leaders to his stand then? And how was he then perceived at that moment? Well, that's the Riverside Church speech uh, for people like me. Uh, Hallelujah. Uh, You know, that... Uh, Dr. King, even though there were people within his inner circle at the civil rights movement who didn't want him to speak because it would dilute the focus on racial justice. But there were people like myself and others that said that social justice, a component of his racial justice, but there are other aspects of social justice. And so for people like me, uh, we saw Dr. King as even uh, a larger uh, historical figure because he was willing to have the courage to speak his his mind and speak to what he thought was the truth and even to be critical of the president and elected officials. But once again, uh, I've learned that if you speak truth,
power. Very often the people in power, uh, they're thin-skinned. They, they really don't accept the fact that you're criticizing them. And then there's retaliation. And in the context of Dr. King, I think uh, immediately after that, maybe he lost some support, political support. But historically, you know, the point that you made also, there were so many people who were critical and hostile to Dr. King, especially when he went up south into uh, Cicero and, and other places in the north. And then we get to recognize that the issue of race uh, was not uh, confined just to the southern states, but it was all over the country. And in the context of that, uh, again, uh, that was an eye-opener to all of us, but it was something that you had to continue to struggle with. And we're still struggling with that today uh, throughout the country. So uh, I think that Dr. King historically becomes uh, an important figure. But when he was alive, uh, they didn't love him as much as after he was killed. Then he became this national hero. So people should remember that as well. Well, thank you, Norman Siegel, and especially thank you for the role you played on behalf of the Guardian Angels early on in our baptismal years. We had very few friends. You were always there for us. You helped us get a headquarters. You spoke on our behalf against our many critics. And I'll always be indebted for, to you as a friend, uh, as a co-warrior out in the streets, although we disagree sometimes. One thing... That's okay. That's okay. We can respectfully disagree. Right. But one thing you got to know about Norman Siegel, he's a true believer, and he's been that way since he uh, went to New Utrecht High School, which, again, had the worst damn football field that I've ever played on in my life. Well, thank you, Curtis. And uh, as someone who tried electoral politics and didn't succeed, would I say to a fellow traveler, uh, there's life after electoral defeat. So uh, hang in there and remember, uh, the sun comes up tomorrow. Well, remember, there's one thing people need to know. When I was shot in the summer of June 19th in 1992 on the Spaldine. orders of the... We brought you the Spaulding. That's right. You brought me a Spaulding. You said, hey, uh, this, this will revive your memories because I was in pretty bad shape. And I got to tell you, uh, I was the stickball commissioner of the city of New York, and that gave me such knock and such joy. I, I'll, I'll always remember that forever. Take care. I remember you in very good terms, too. So we're friends. We'll always be friends. That's right. Friends for life. Anyway, think of that. Here it is. It's Martin Luther King Day. People had to fight for it to become a national holiday. Why aren't the kids in school learning about Martin Luther King Jr. from morning, noon to night? You would think, why would you be off? You know they ain't watching the History Channel. You know they're playing Fortnite and Roadblox. And they run in the streets. So just as I've said with Veterans Day, why would you have no school on Veterans Day when it would be a perfect opportunity to have men and women who have served our country come into the schools, do assembly programs, go from class to class, teach a new generation what patriotism was all about, why they chose to serve for this country. Back then, in many instances, they were drafted. They didn't have a choice. It's not like the professional military now. And likewise, on Martin Luther King Day, with all the schools that we have, whether they're open or closed, whether they're having virtual learning or in-class learning, and I have three sons in the public school system here, Anthony, who interns here at WABC. I do a podcast with him once a week. It's called Father and Son. 
He wants you to be called Anthony and Curtis. I insist it's Curtis and Anthony. You can go on WABCRadio.com and hear that podcast and all the great podcasts here at WABC. And then my uh, other son, uh, who had just been Bob Mitzvah at the age of uh, 13, and then Hunter, who's 11. And they all go to public school. Why aren't they in public school today? Learning about the life and times of Martin Luther King. Instead of being introduced to critical race theory, CRT, that divides us, does not join us. You would think we could dedicate one day in the public school, charter school, private school, parochial school system to the life and times of Martin Luther King Jr., who always brought people together, did not divide them, Jews and Gentiles, whites and blacks, and more importantly, was a believer in nonviolent resistance, assaulted, attacked. He never advocated violence. Wouldn't that be a perfect opportunity at getting value out of the millions and millions of dollars that we waste in our school systems? Right? Just a common sense idea. Because what do you think? The kids are sitting at home today saying, oh, let's talk about Martin Luther King Jr. Most of them don't even know who he is. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Take it out of my musical file. Pump it up. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Get all that needed music, man. Get to Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, the greatest rap song of all time in the early 80s, right after I started the Guardian Angels up in the Bronx as a night manager of Mickey D's. So I can speak to what happened at Burger King on 116th in Lexington because I got held up at gunpoint many, many occasions. Sometimes I fought. Sometimes I had to fold like a cheap camera. But if you listen to Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, they talk about how bad it was in the 80s, in the projects, in the tenements, all the crime, all the flotsam and jetsam, the lack of any civility. You got to listen to the words. And although it's not as bad now as it was in right up into the early 90s during the Dinkins years when we had 2,000 killed a year, 5,000 shootings, most of them unresolved. And then thank God you all came to your senses because I was out there campaigning with them every day and you elected Rudy Giuliani, my Kumbadicic, to take New York City from Crime Central, the murder capital of America, to the safest big city in America. It's been done before. And I ran for mayor and said, I am going to follow the Giuliani roadmap. And all of you said, no, we're going to go to the guy who for 22 years was a police officer, 10 in the NYPD, excuse me, the transit police, 12 in the NYPD, who wore a bulletproof vest and a gun each and every day because he's going to know what to do. Oh, really? He's going to know what to do. And I said he was a fugazi then. You got voters remorse now? 
Did you see what this guy and his and his custom made suits with his Ferragamo jammies on? You know how much Ferragamos are? Who the hell pays for those? Anyway, he's having a press conference with 12 other elected officials, none of them who came uh, by subway. They don't even have Metro cards. They came in tax-provided SUVs with police protection and left the same way. And they were talking about the killing, another killing, where an emotionally disturbed guy pushes, in this case, an Asian woman into the tracks in front of a train at 42nd Street, Times Square. And then they wheel out Congresswoman Meng, who says, no, no, this wasn't an anti-Asian crime. Really? Uh, Anti-Asian crimes have gone up 363% from de Blasio right to Eric Adams. And then Eric Adams stunned everybody. Stunned everybody. The guy who said he was the law and order candidate. And I said, no, he's not. He's a Fugazi. Listen to what he said about crime in the subway. Listen closely. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their jobs. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, When you see homeless individuals with mental health issues not being attended to and given the proper services, that add to the perception of fear. And so what our battle is in the subway system is fighting the perception of fear that cases like this could happen. And we're doing that. Uh, We were clear. Uh, The the chief of transit police, she did her analysis of our rollout. The officers were on trains. They were on platforms. No, they weren't. They were doing visits. No, they weren't. Like they were supposed to do. The proper plan No, no, no. Stop it. Stop it. You don't ride the trains. You haven't ridden the train since you were a transit cop a month of Sundays ago. You, you took the train on your first day after inauguration, and that was good. You had your designer suit on. You had your Ferragamos. You got on the J train at Kajusko Street, not far from the townhouse that you never were at, because obviously you were at apartment 22H over in Fort Lee, sharing it with your domestic partner. Okay, so it was good symbolage. You get on the train. You're looking down, you see three Latinos who are squaring off. Uh, they're, 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 they're like throwing blows at one another. You call 911. You get on the train, you're in one car on your way to City Hall. One car, you have an emotionally disturbed person, a homeless person, and a drunk guy giving you a hard time. And you would have figured, you would have said at that moment, hey, guess what? I'm cracking down. I'm locking down on the subway. And then you had a press conference with Governor Kathy Holcomb, which means nonsense because she's full of nonsense, in which you said, hey, we're not going to have cops do intervention. No, with the emotionally disturbed uh, and with the homeless people. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to get specialized health care workers, you know, shrink psychologists, psychiatrists, and the state is going to fund that. And when the hell is that going to take place, Eric Adams? And there's nothing. And there's more of this crime in the subway. Could you play that cut again? I want you people to listen. This is the guy that you said was Mr. Law and Order. He would understand the subways because he was a transit cop. He knows nothing about nothing. We have a safe subway system. Transit police officers, they have done their jobs. What we must do is remove the perception of fear. Cases like this aggravates the perception of fear. Uh, when you see homeless individuals with mental right, health right, issues. enough of this nonsense. That's what 
comrade Bill de Blasio, who was the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, who was smoking Maui Waui and Hindu Kush at night on the back porch of Gracie Mansion, was saying for eight years, you said Eric Adams would be different, right? It's perception. Everybody who rides the subways, there's a perception of fear. The subways are safe. Who is that Gabon who called earlier uh, on Sid's show? was talking about how the subways were safer than actually driving on the Garden State Park. Do you have that cut? Could you play that cut? Uh, of the phone call? Yes. Uh, we can grab it for you. But, no, it's uh, there. Your guy prepared it. He's running in there. I see what you're saying. Yeah, let's get that up there. I couldn't believe it. First call out of the box. Probably somebody from uh, City Hall, a sickle fan, Tony and Lackey, listening to the number one talk show in New York City in the morning, Sid and Bernie. Listen to this guy. I wonder which staff member of Eric Adams this is. Listen how ludicrous this is. I'm going to try to be fair and reasonable. Yes, it's a horrible crime when someone gets pushed on the subway. It hurts. It hurts. But let's go statistically. So many people live in New York. So much is going on. It's unfortunate from time to time horrible things happen. I ride the subways. I go to New York. I feel more uh, at risk on the Garden State Parkway. I feel more at risk seeing people eating fast food who are overweight. When you look at the big picture, I think you're right, but overreacting to the statistics. De- de- definitely, definitely not, Ron. I think I know who that guy is. I, well, sickle fan totally didn't like it. You're more in danger of eating fast food. At Burger King, yeah, if you happen to be there when a guy walks in and shoots the cashier and then maybe he says, your money or your life. And in Manhattan with Alvin Bragg, the DA, he wants to hug the thugs and not prosecute. Ladies and gentlemen, are you out of your mind? You're less safe on the Garden State Parkway driving than you would be in the number two train called the Beast or the number four train, the Muggers Express, uh, if you happen to be riding the subway. You believe that nonsense? And yet some of you do. And you know something? You elected him. I wonder if you have voters remorse so early in his campaign. And then two weeks ago, he could have manned up. He could have stood up to Alvin Bragg, the new Manhattan district attorney, who was never lying during his campaign. He said he was going to be turn him loose, Alvin Bragg. And a majority of Manhattanites voted for him. They got what they wanted. He wasn't lying to you. He issued his manifesto. And instead of Eric Adams saying, no, 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 this is going to be brother to brother. We're at odds here. No, 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 no. Not in my city. Look at how feckless and weak he was. Listen to this. I like Alvin. He was a great prosecutor. Uh, I believe that he's going to be a good district attorney, and I'm going to sit down and have a conversation with him as we build out uh, what we need to do around public safety so that we're all on the same page. All on the same page. Eric Adams, I thought you were the law and order guy. You stood up to Hawk Newsom. You did the right thing at Black Lives Matter when you had to sit down with him. And he said, if you reinstitute the anti-crime unit of the NYPD that was disbanded when de Blasio and city council defunded the police by a billion dollars, I'll burn the city down. Eric Adams stood up to him, man to man. He manned up and he said, no, you won't. And if you notice, Hawk Newsom shut up, right? You haven't heard from him since. How come he can't man up? To Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA. Why does he sound so weak? He sounds so nebbishy. He sounds like a schmegendrick. I'll tell you why. 
because he knows that the Manhattan DA is the most important and strongest DA in the country. They make TV programs out of it and movies. And as Alvin Bragg said on this stage here at WABC when he debated his seven other Democratic opponents, I'm going after four categories of crime. I'm not prosecuting anybody for what he called low-level crime. Low-level crime is pulling a gun out on somebody, putting it to their head, robbing them. Hey, I'll charge you with a misdemeanor. You'll come in. You'll plea bargain to a disorderly conduct. You'll get a disappearance ticket, and you're back out on the streets to do it again. He said, I'm prosecuting gun running. Good. When you bring in kilos instead of nickel and dime bags, good. Anything named Trump, right? If it's Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump, Trump business, that's all the Manhattan DA's office does. And political crimes, which means city halls in Manhattan. And if you know Eric Adams' recent appointments as chief of staff, like I do, Frank Caron, and those other umiserables, they're all part of the corrupt Kings County Democratic machine. And guess what? He doesn't want to rattle. Alvin Bragg's office and all of a sudden spur what may be a corruption investigation into the whining, dining, and pocket lining that is now going to take place at City Hall. So you see, that's why you listen to Curtis Lieber. I know where all the bones are buried and who buried it. And you know, I say it the way it is. But all of you out there, oh, Eric Adams, he's going to make us so safe and secure. Ooh, Mr. Law and Order, really? In his Ferragamos and his uh, designer suits. Classic who? The new boss, same as the old boss, de Blasio Eric Adams. But let's move on to Burger King and what happened there. And who knows better than anybody, yours truly, Curtis Lewa, when I was a night manager at Mickey D's up in the Fordham section of the Bronx and got held up uh, more times than I have fingers on my hands. So you see this mutt to scale, Winston Glenn, illegal alien, by the way, from Jamaica. Well, how did he have a snap card? How did he get jobs at Burger King? He not only worked at that Burger King, uh, that is the Burger King in question at 116th and Lexington Avenue. Apparently, he worked at another Burger King. How did he get that job if he was an illegal alien? Everybody's taking the code of Omerta. So the cops tell us, and they did a good job clipping him. But it wasn't as good as they made it out to be claiming, oh, you know, we used every forensic detail. Let me tell you what cops do when you're robbed at a fast food restaurant. Fast food restaurants get robbed more than other, any other retail entity because it's a cash and carry business. So the DTs will come in, the detectives, and they'll ask you. They think first it might be an inside job because whoever's working in the Burger King or McDonald's or Wendy's or Popeye's or Kentucky Fried Chicken would know where the safe is. And if you remember, after this guy punched out the teeth of the manager and then aimed the gun at the 19-year-old cashier who gave her the only money she had in her cash register, $100, and then he said, no, 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 get take me back to the safe. He knew where the safe was, but she was paralyzed in fear, and then he shot her dead. A premeditated execution. We don't have a death penalty in New York City, but tell me, this does not indicate what a death penalty should be used for. And we have old Sparky that's up in Sing Sing and Ossining. We ought to dust it off and put that juice in his caboose. But we don't have the death penalty any longer. But that's clearly a definition of a death penalty charge. Now, look at Burger King itself. 
It is a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. The company that owns them now, RBI, they own Burger King, they own Popeyes, they own Hortons, which is the Canadian franchise. They never issued a memo, a letter of condolence, nothing. They didn't put a penny into the award. The award was created by John Katsimatidis, our owner and operator, who obviously runs supermarkets. He knows. He knows the dangers of how easily you could be robbed at gunpoint. And his stores have been over the years. So he puts up 10000 The NYPD matched it, 10000 It's a 20000 reward. Burger King did nothing. They have 7,000 stores across America. Only 50 do they run. The others are franchisee. You pay a fee and you get to run a Burger King. We don't know who owns that franchise. Nobody has come forth publicly. Nobody contributed to the fund, the reward fund. Now we find out JetBlue, after a high funeral mass in East Harlem, will be transporting the body and the woman's family from Perth to Puerto Rico, where she originally was from, for burial. And again, Burger King has not contributed a nickel, diamond penny. We should be shaming Burger King, a major multinational corporation that has taken the code of Omerta. And you know what it reminds me of? It's how I got my job up in Mickey D's. Uh, in the late 70s. I was in Brooklyn at that time, married to Corinne Drayton, Brownsville, never ran, never will. Uh, I was having all kinds of problems there, and I figured, hey, I had this idea, you know, to get these volunteers to start patrolling the number two train there at Rockaway, uh, and I was going to call it the Guardian Angels. And people in Brooklyn said, you have all the furniture upstairs and rearranged it in the wrong room. So I figured, hey, I'll go up to the Bronx. They got nothing to lose. The Bronx is burning. So I look in the Daily News in the Wanted section on Sunday, and I see, oh, candidates for management wanted in the Bronx. The big golden arches, Ray Kroc, you know, Max Fry strawberry shakes. So I saw my calling, and I went up to White Plains Road uh, and Pelham Parkway. And I sat for an interview. I had my resume. The guy goes, we, we don't need a resume. We really need a fighter. We need a bouncer. Because we just had a guard named Bernard Fabian who was shot in the back of the head in a robbery. Uh, the store that I eventually got sent to, which is a very busy store in a high-crime area, Fordham and Webster, what had happened is this black guy comes in. He jumps over the counter. He's waving a gun, and he plays Robin Hood. He reaches into the bin. He starts giving away free food, and naturally nobody's going to stop him. It's an unarmed guard. And the manager, who was from Connecticut, he was in the back shaking like a leaf, the little mum mongolooch that he was. So he's throwing food out. The crowd is loving it. And then all of a sudden he walks up to Bernard Fabian and he says, oh, you're going to stop me? Bernard Fabian has his hands in the air. He's surrendering. He's unarmed to God. And he shoots him twice in the head. And then he runs out. McDonald's after that would open at 11. They close at 7 at night because they couldn't even get a crew. They couldn't even get any managers who would work there once the sun went down. So little did I realize that's what I got hired to do. And after a little bit of training at White Plains Road and Allerton Avenue, Pelham Parkway, it wasn't a a high crime store. It wasn't a, a busy store. But I learned, you know, the essence of being a manager, which I learned ultimately was just being a glorified bouncer. Uh, who was wearing the golden arches. In fact, at McDonald's, where I was manager, was so bad, we were supposed to have Ronald McDonald come, you know, to give away free tchotchkes, and instead they sent a hamburglar. And the hamburglar got a standing ovation from the crowd because if Ronald McDonald had come, they would have pistol-whipped Ronald McDonald and stripped him of his valuables. 
So my job was to sit up at the counter because your own employees would steal from you, not by taking money out of the cash register. They'd load up food on a tray for friends and relatives, and they'd just pass it over the counter. And then you would see at night your inventory was down. And guess what? It came out of your pocket. So I said, no, 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 no. I'm watching my employees. But then all of a sudden, guys would come up. They'd eat seven-eighths of a Mac, a Big Mac. And then they'd bring it up and say, yo, Man, I got to hand my Mac, man. I want a new Mac or I want my money back. And I said, hey, you think because I'm white I'm stupid? You probably pricked out of your uh, lower extremities uh, a pubic hair and put it in the Big Mac. No, you ain't getting nothing. And then all of a sudden, I'd have to jump over the counter and people would be screaming, white and black, white and black. Boy, that would always attract a crowd. Uh, they'd be out the door. And guess what? Nobody left the line. If they were standing in line to get their Mickey D's order, it didn't matter. We're fighting. I'm picking this guy up. I'm slamming him down on the ground. I'm making his bones rattle. And they said, boy, it's a crazy white boy. But nobody challenged me. Because once you establish street reputation, people see that they can't suck at you. But in the case of Burger King here, he was a corporation that did and has done nothing I would hope the business community would shame them. Find out uh, at corporate headquarters, which is in Miami, and find out who owns the franchise. It could be a, a series of people. It could be a lone individual. And really make them come out, issue a memo, show some condolences. They haven't done that. And do the right thing and contribute some money. Maybe set up a scholarship fund in the name of this 19-year-old girl who was executed in our city. Send a clear message out. Paul, what happened at Burger King on 116th and Lexington Avenue happens at fast food emporiums all across America, making it the second most dangerous job. The first job is being at a, uh, uh, a delicatessen, a 7-Eleven, or a bodega. More of those clerks get killed than in any other vocation across America, including being a police officer. The second most number of assaults and killings are a fast food. Yes, yes. The flow is there. You know, Sid and Bernie will be rejoined tomorrow morning, same time, same place. Boy, I, I'm going to be listening this afternoon, even though I've been going 24-7-365, having completed 22 hours of radio when sometimes WABC, the acronym, is always broadcasting Curtis. But I can't wait to listen to Greg Kelly, his riff today on Crime City. The fact is, you can't take subways, you can't walk the streets, and even if you drive into the city, you could be carjacked, get his take. And then definitely, Mike Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, the memories will flow. He was in a much more difficult circumstance than Eric Adams is now. He was inheriting the legacy of David Dinkins where it was all crime all the time. Uh, it was the murder capital of America. And Rudy Giuliani, in eight years, through determined, dogged, constant focus on the crime issue, turned us into the safest city in America. You've got to be listening to Rudy today. He's going to describe the route he took. And then Bo Snurley was at four. He grew up in southeast Queens. So he's a local guy. And then you don't want to miss the Cats Roundtable at 5. I'm sure they're going to have a panoply of different guests. This on MLK Day to honor the life and times of Martin Luther King. But also talk about this crime wave. And then tonight, Rita Cosby from 10 to 12. She's focused on this. And Dominic Carter. 
And then it starts all over again with the other side of midnight, Frank Morano. And this is really pure talk radio. John Katzmatidis rescued WABC. The Tower of Power was suddenly going to be dismantled. And now, whenever the news takes place, locally, regionally, across the country or across the world, you don't have to turn in anywhere else. Just keep your, keep your radio set on the dial. You're streaming your app on 770 AM WABC. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at Info at GaboLaw.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.